I'm just exploiting their properties efficiently, mm. really. You know, most people use silicon molds ultimately purely because they release well. Mm. You know, but no one's using like the compressive elasticity of silicon to make better edges. <laughs> I'm kind of doing my taxes at the moment, which I'm not enjoying. It's just a lot of paperwork uh, and being yeah, a financial I'm detective. To, I'm going to try to get on top of that earlier this year. We we finally got all of our tax stuff caught up. We got a new accountant mm-hmm. uh, in 2017 because our former accountant is in the slammer for uh, being a crook. Well, that's not good. Fortunately, it didn't. No, not at all. Uh, and I never saw it coming. It was like, what? Uh, fortunately, it didn't affect any of our stuff, um, but we've got a great new accountant, and we got all caught up because we were we were dragging our feet, uh, but finally got 2012 through 2016 done, wow. and uh, and and now we are back in the government's good graces, and I want to make sure that doesn't ever happen again because yeah. it can be a little stressful. Um. So apart from the the taxes thing, I've been I've been um I've been experimenting with. Uh, do you use any like acrylic polymers over there? I I I do. Um, I mean, I I use an acrylic uh, hardener when I'm mixing ultracal to help strengthen it somewhat. Because mm-hmm. I think I think probably because you have such good plaster over there, it probably isn't as big a deal as it is over here because i think we use a lot of resins and things over here but mm-hmm. i've noticed a lot with colleges and, and places just um i mean for big things polyester is great but if you're set up for polyester you can use it for all kinds of small things as well but i just i'm i'm quite keen on the notion of doing a lot more less smelly stuff and um i've been i've been using something called jesmonite which is big over here and it sounds very religious but it's it's not at all it just happens to be called that <laughs> but it's just like a yeah. kind of a Do you guys have polymer that's very good. Do you, Do you all have Forton MG over there? I don't think so. Forton MG. Let me write that down. How do you spell that? Yeah. Um, F-O-R-T-O-N, Forton, yeah. uh, MG. Uh, Hiram Ball, you know, Ball Enterprise, developed it smooth on bottom of a few years ago, I think. Um, it's it's essentially uh, hydrocal with um, resin infused into it. So you can do stone molds that are much, much thinner than you would ordinarily do um, and get them very strong. Okay. Like like epoxy dough strong. Okay. That sounds good. And um, it doesn't get too hot, I guess, if it's... Because that's the no, thing doesn't I'm get, interested in. No, it doesn't get too hot. It doesn't, it's, it's, doesn't stink. Uh, it's it's a little bit of a pain in the ass to to work with because you've got to fairly precisely measure out three component you know a couple of different components in addition to the stone mm-hmm. to put it together, but but the results are great. Um, my my late friend Dave Parvin uh, did most of his life casting body casts out of Forton MG. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can color it and you can do all kinds of cool stuff with it. And um, Dave was a huge proponent of, of Forton and used it almost exclusively for his uh, 
finished art pieces. Mm-hmm. Well, it just strikes me as a, a nicer material in terms of something you're going to be exposed to a lot, but also for the hobbyist. And the thing is, you know, there's a lot more people that are going to do this on a small scale in their homes than are going to do it on a large scale in a workshop. And if you can use something that's safer, it means that you'll do stuff, you know, and not harm yourself and, and where you live. Absolutely. In the same place. Yeah. So I want to look Doing more fiberglass that. in your kitchen is, yeah. is not and the we've best all been idea. There. <laughs> yeah. But um but I'm interested in trying out cuz I I have known about Jesmonite for a while which is the big one over here. I think elsewhere in Europe there's a, a company called Acrylic One and I got a sample of that and I ran a sample of uh, I had three face cores and I ran one in Jesmonite one in Acrylic One and one in a plaster that we have here called Alpha K which is I guess the closest we'd have to Ultra Cal. It's a really, really hard plaster. It's like five parts powder to one part water um, by volume. And it's it's pretty amazing, actually. It pours like cream, but it, it, you can't mm. build up with it. It's only really for flood molds. Um, yeah. But when it's set, it's like marble. It's amazing. It's really nice. So well, I, I've done some cores. Four, four tons pretty much like that. It sounds, okay. sounds a lot like four tons. So what I want to do is, is just is, is run a, make some pieces, and I'll, I'll, I'll blog this and document it, but I want to make some pieces using each of these materials and just compare the results and see you know, if there's any significant difference in the way they release, the way they run, whether they you know, crack when they're clamps, whether there's any kind of warping. Um, I know they're not exactly the same piece, so it's not like for like, but uh, it's a pretty close test, and I'm just curious to see, because I think we'll probably be looking more in the future about doing these kinds of uh, materials more than just my go-to would be like a urethane resin. I'm just thinking, actually, if it's a small block mold of a nose, that could be jasmineite or, you know, your 4G or whatever, um, because it just makes sense and it's just easier. I'm gonna, I'll try that with Forton and we can compare notes. That would be amazing. Let's do that. Let's do it. Then we can, then we can do a podcast about it. Well, exactly. Ooh, ooh, I mean, it's <laughs> That's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what else have we got? So I just I just took notes as I went. So I've almost written the blog post. I just went through. I made notes of the mold makers that he mentioned: Carl Lyon, Carl Lyon and Rob Freitas. Um, oh, Carl's amazing. And there was a there was gunner. A, there was a, there was that that uh, and I'd forgotten he'd done it. And I I remember it was I think it was mentioned in Makeup Artist magazine that Rob Freitas had interviewed Gunnar Ferdinandson and on video and it's on Vimeo and I put the link to that on the uh, the blog post that's for this um, podcast. So uh, if you can click cool. on that link, and it's in the show notes for this video as well. So if you're listening to this through a podcatcher, then uh, you'll be able to click on that and get taken to it. And it's amazing. It's just two guys sitting down talking about cool shit. It's amazing. Um, and what else was it? Uh, and he mentioned a whole bunch of stuff like the visual effects and production, you know, not living in the past, which I thought was a really interesting point, you know, that, a lot of people are very married to the traditional techniques, and I myself am included in that. But you've got to realize that the production are not, you know, they're not buried in, oh, Rick Baker's stuff from back in the day, which is, you know what I mean? It, that's cool, but it's like Rick Baker's looking forward. He's actually doing some, you know, a lot of digital stuff. And I think there's a, uh, people kind of get caught up and, and hung up on the, on the, the past at the cost of thinking about how things can be done in the future or looking at new ways of doing things. Cause it doesn't have that well, reverence. I think built everything, into it. Yeah, everything we're doing now is, is because somebody thought, what if I did this? Mm-hmm. What if I mixed this with that? Would that work? Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much with everything we do. Yeah. You know, we're working on a, on a, an, 
a new article for the next issue of, of Prosthetics Magazine. Who came up with the latex bald cap? You know, what if we what if we stippled rubber on a on a form and put it on somebody's head and it could make him look like he doesn't have any hair at all without having to shave his head? Mm-hmm. Somebody somebody had that idea. Mm-hmm. I'm probably lost in the midst of time. There'll be people tearing their hair out. If you pardon the expression. Uh, saying, well, I know who that was. It's, it's one of those things. That... Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you know, let us tell us, because uh, I can't find any information about that. Yeah. Though it probably probably start happened sometime around the time foam latex was being experimented with for appliances, I'd have to say sometime in the 1920s mm-hmm. to 1930s, mm-hmm. I would guess. I guess so. Well, I've got, I, I'm trying to think where it was. Someone in Facebook made a post about this and it was, there was an article in Practical Mechanics about this full staff makeup that was built out of cotton and this guy put it on and it was inflated with air and that's how it, it filled out was that it was being pumped full of air and this was like back in the 20s or 30s. Wow. Um, and I got pictures of it somewhere and I bought the book that it was from uh, as a theatrical makeup. I'll see if I can find that the link on that and it's incredible because it's like it must be a a hugely impractical way of doing things but the fact is that's how somebody did it that someone figured that out and tried that out which is quite involved um so uh, you know well not unlike um building up boris karloff's frankenstein's monster forehead using collodion and cotton Mm -hmm. that was an extensive job (laughs) (laughs) not something you'd want to say imagine having doing that every day so what you got on this week? What you up to? Um, I am working on some rebuilds of some masks. I've, I may have mentioned this already, but um, I'm going to be getting started in earnest on rebuilding and building from a new uh, some masks for a children's theater production of Sleeping Beauty. Okay. The big big thing is I'm just throwing shit away. If if you could could see the the shop in my office, you know, just stuff stacked up, piled up. I'm I'm going to go through molds, old molds that I don't need anymore, mm-hmm. um, and they're just going away. Wow, well, I think that's the I'm thing. Sending, I'm sending them to the cornfield. Yeah, well, you need the space. You need the space. Um, I just noticed you were <laughs> scratching your neck there, and your lapel mic is right under where your hand was. Uh oh. I wonder Uh-oh. if we've just. <laughs> Scratchy, scratchy. I hope. Yeah. Scratchy. Sorry. That's all right. I just suddenly. I forget. Thought, I'm, oh, I forget. I'm wearing it. They're they're they're, they're that comfortable. Natural. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you're having a bit of a purge. You're clearing out your workshop, and making some space, which is a good feeling. I'm getting. I'm throwing shit out to make room for new shit. There we go. Well, it's good to do it, that. It it has a way of of accumulating, and I'm just getting rid of stuff. And part of it's you know. Um, when my father-in-law passed away, we acquired a lot of his stuff. I haven't been able to park in the garage for over a year because it's full of his stuff and stuff from my, my parents' home when we downsized them last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, just need to go through and get make it go away. It's, yeah. I've, I've reached, finally reached that age where you know, I still like gadgety stuff, but it's just stuff, mm. and I, I need to simplify. 
I guess you limit to the things that you need and you have a very good idea about what it is you want. I think a lot of it is you, you get attached to things uh, almost in a way where you don't question it, you don't think about it. And then at some point you reach a level where you go, I need to throw stuff out. And you go, I haven't used this for 10 years. <laughs> I don't need oh, yeah. Anymore. Well, as, as artists, you know, we come across cool little things. Like, oh, that would be really neat to put into to some costume or something I'll, i'm gonna put, set that aside my shop is full of crap like that mm-hmm. um and i just gotta i just have to get over that you know if, if i haven't touched it for six months i'm not gonna mm-hmm. touch it for another six months so out it goes yeah it's kind of trusting that you will continue to have good ideas and inspiration you don't have to seize everything and keep hold of it i i, I have a, a bad habit i'm looking around my workshop now and there's just just shit everywhere just things knickknacks things that i'm hoping i'll use one day because i can't bear to throw them away i have cleared out a lot of stuff because we had a new kitchen put in so we had a a whole lot of stuff taken away obviously the old kitchen went out and we changed some furniture around and it was like oh cool you know the skips here let's get a bunch of this out of the way and it was nice to clear some space but i know i'm gonna yep. accumulate things and find new things that i don't i probably won't get to for years but at the moment of seeing them, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do with this. And then I forget <laughs> all about it. But at that very moment, yeah. you have this very clear idea about what it can mean to you. And then that just evaporates the second you acquire the object. It's, it's very oh, funny. I have folders full of folders full of sheets of paper with notes on it of things I want to do. I will, oh, I got to write that down. I get, you know, sheaves of paper with notes. Some of, some of them I wrote a few days ago. Some of it's like, when the hell did I, what the hell was I thinking when I wrote that note? <laughs> this means I, nothing to me. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Mark Maron did a good bit about that. Oh, he was man. saying about, he wrote stuff down on like napkins and he just brought out this, like, it was, I think it's on Netflix, it's special on Netflix. I think it's called Thinky Pain. That was it. That was the, the special. And he did this whole bit about how he would write things down as they occurred to him. And he just read it out and it makes no sense. And he goes, I have no idea what I was thinking at the time. It makes no, out of context, it's, you know, in the fevered second, it's like, oh, this makes perfect sense. And then afterwards, nothing. It means nothing to anyone. Um, so that was quite funny. Yeah, when, I was in, when I was in, in school, I would take notes in class, you know, copious notes. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go to be studying for an exam or something. And I'd be looking at my notes and try to figure out what language i'd written it in it was like what the hell does this even say because i'm trying trying to write fast to get all get all the information and i look at it later on my fault for not transcribing it immediately after class Mm. to help make it stick in memory because as a teacher you know you know the more chances you give something to if you have to read it look it up write it down Boom, that's several opportunities to get the information to long-term memory. Yeah. But I'll look at it a, a week after I took the note, and I can't even decipher it. Not not only do I not know what it means, I, I can't even figure out what the words are. You're like, what? <laughs> oh, man, I should have been a doctor. I write like one. So uh, let's listen to my chat with Sangeet Prabhaka. Uh, and uh, yeah, listen up and, and let me know what you think. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thanks for coming. It's lovely to have you here. Man. So when I came in, the first thing I saw was a 3D printer. Yes, this is my new <laughs> toy. Which is amazing. And 
I'm interested in three. We spoke to, um, I, th- I think I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I spoke to Christopher Donmos. We sat outside in a freezing cold bench because we were trying to have this chat. We went into a costa and okay. the noise was just yeah, you know, too people much. banging. So we went and sat in this freezing cold bench in the middle of um, a cemetery. Okay. <laughs> in the Baron's Court. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Which was cool. But uh, it was good because he was talking about this and, and yeah, they're coming again and it's like these things are calling to me. Um, I yes. think 2018 maybe yeah. the year I buy a 3D printer. Yeah, I mean, there, it had been beckoning for a while and uh, and actually a job has come up where it's an integral part of it. Amazing. Yeah. So there you go. So we forced so them to use it yeah. all the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Does it come assembled or do you have to build it? No, it comes assembled. Oh, wow. And we were discussing earlier about I think the thing is with 3D printers is that they are... Sorry, this is kind of going to rehash what we were no, saying before. No, it's fair though, enough because I think... It, it was good stuff. But it was, it was basically stuff. like 3D printing, in theory, yeah. makes manufacturing... It's not that it makes it redundant, but it, it, it puts some level of manufacturing into the hand of every person that can get one. Yeah. The software is often free. Yeah. But... There is almost like a gulf of misinformation is probably the wrong word, but it's confusion. Yeah. Because we were saying like I can buy a printer like you know for fifteen hundred quid or yeah. less. Yeah. I can get the software for free. Yeah. But it's hard to find a coherent path to like if you want to learn to drive or if you want to learn how to carve wood. Carve wood. There, yeah. There's like a very clear. You need to do this, 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 yeah. this. It yeah. almost seems like there's deliberately this like myriad of paths that confuse yeah. you. Yeah. Presumably paid for by the people that make very expensive software because the other outside the other yeah, is yeah. you get CAD software for free yeah. or you get CAD software that's like AutoCAD which is like £1,500 a month yeah. and you're like how is it that the technology to produce a printer yeah. which presumably was prohibitively expensive 10 years ago for desktop use yeah. in homes is now easily accessible yeah. but the software which is still has, it, it sounds like a licensing thing it's like they could yeah. charge less yeah. but they won't yeah. because it belongs to a manufacturing I think industry. this is kind of like this is why it's one of these wild west situations where like the status quo just hasn't been established yet you know mm. we're far from like establishing the status quo of like how does this actually work in, in practical terms so yes AutoCAD do charge £1,500 a month for their software because it's the same software that they'll use to design the latest Mercedes mm. literally the same stuff you know? so you do have to then think you know woodworking and like you know it's a great analogy like you can buy the kit so you can buy uh, some nice wood carving chisels but you still need wood right you're still going to need the raw material uh, to actually work right and I think the software is kind of the same analogy mm. so I think it's easy to then to get lost in like well I've got hardwoods and I've got softwoods and I've got these colored things and where do I start you know mm-hmm. and anyone would just say well just start with the simplest option just start with balsa wood and work your way up and I think the software is the kind of the same thing I think once you get your head around the very basic aspects of the free software that then opens up the possibility of taking on something harder, something you know, uh, that but it didn't seem like there was a moderately priced CAD piece, so it was either free or it was phenomenally expensive. There didn't yes. seem to be like a good usable piece, like do you know what I mean? 100 pounds, yeah, and that's a good piece of software, but it's yeah. only six or seven hundred pounds. I'd gladly pay 500 pounds for a piece of CAD software that was usable, that's usable, but yes. also was very yes. good and better than the stuff I get in a browser, yes, yes, so, yes. 
I think it's still we're still at that situation. I mean, I'm still very much learning. I think um, I came across a bit of software called Blender, mm-hmm. which is free open source software. It has been called the greatest, uh, the greatest kind of you know free a uh, bit of creative progress humanity's ever seen right it's one of the great never ones. used it well such it's a dick. out there I need to use there's it. millions of people using it i mean okay. from what i understand there uh, you know films are being made on it you know i think at one point one of the guys behind the development of it in the first place set up like a a short films foundation of stuff just made on blender so you know you can you can sculpt on it but you can you know hard edge model with it you can animate those models. You can render them into you know nice, nicely lit things. So there's a lot that can be done with it. I think it's like just like ZBrush though. It's an entire studio in condensed into you know one bit of software, one screen. And I okay. think for people with our kind of background who are used to machinery and you know tangible tools and you know being personally do. responsible for its manufacture i think it's a hard yeah. thing to shake off yeah well. it is it is but i think it's just a case of perspective i mean I, I think um just like we can see the subtle differences between one kind of sculpting tool and another one i think it's just the same same thing we just have to uh learn the you know learn the subtleties of of mm. this particular tool mm. i think you're right tools, yeah. Because to me, it feels still quite scary, but I appreciate that's because I don't understand it. Yeah. But I guess the thing is to run at it full tilt and I think become involved in it yeah. rather than sit there passively waiting for it yeah. Yeah. to become something you can yeah. use or be yeah. told how you've got to use it. Yes, 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 yes. It's kind yes. Of actually changed yeah. the landscape. And just like a lot of the silicon manufacturers are approaching us and asking us, what what would you like? You know, what What kind of properties do you want? I think if we're actually integrating this stuff into our workflow you know the truth is there's a lot of really good makeup effects guys out there who are very competent in zebrush and are, are producing like awesome designs and great sculptures but i'm kind of in, also interested in this in just the kind of technical aspect so can i make cores can mm-hmm. i just print cores you know can i print jackets what's a simple way of coring out a three-dimensional form and printing a core for a silicon head rather than having to like physically core it out you know and i think you know if uh, if we're if we're actually implementing this stuff someone out there is going to go oh right here's a really free so- bit of software that allows you to take shave three mil off a off a sculpt very easily mm-hmm. and stuff like that so i think the more we use it the more we engage with it it's a responsive thing you know i think yeah. it'll, it'll feed back to it mm-hmm. uh, in a positive way yeah I think that's the thing. I think we're so used to just using, like, you come into it and you're like, this is what we do this with, this is for that, this is that. Yes. And it's like, actually, the scary thing is, this can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> So yeah. you need to tell us how to make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or establish what the, the needs are. Yes, exactly. And then they can be met yes, quickly indeed, with indeed, code indeed. to approach yeah, it. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah. And I guess the thing is, we use technology all the time without realising, like, like, digital cameras and... I use the digital stuff when I record stuff. a podcast. Yeah, yeah, we've adopted all these new technologies quite easily, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone's kind of like using tech to like, you know, spectrograph someone's skin tone just yet. You know, we still use our eyes a lot of, a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But we're craftspeople, you know. I mean, like tool use is integral to what we do. It is. And I think mm-hmm. tech doesn't replace skills. Like you were saying, like there are 
devices for that, like you can scan someone's skin, they use it, you know, for yeah. medical prosthetics to sort of determine yeah. what a, a skin color is. Which, in theory, I guess the lure of that is then you don't need you don't need to understand how to make skin tones in order to to mix it. Yeah, but that's kind of like saying, well, I have a car so I can drive long distances. So there's no benefit to me being able to run twenty miles. Yeah, it's like well, yeah. actually, no. There's lots your life would be much better if you could run twenty yes. miles. You know what I mean? If, yes, yes, even yes, if you yes. don't actually run twenty, the fact you're capable of doing it just means running up a flight of stairs or chasing yeah. after a bus for a hundred yards yeah. is easy because your body is well developed beyond that. Yeah. So I think there's never, there's never, it's ne- it never replaces it. Only enhances. Yeah, I just don't buy that. Can like, do. oh, this new technology is going to dumb us down. You know, that's never. That's never proven right. Yeah. You know, I was listening to something on a podcast yesterday about uh, when numbers were first introduced to telephone code. So rather than phoning an operator and saying, can you put me through to 251, you know, Leamington Spa, it's mm-hmm. Leamington Spa suddenly had a dialing code, right? And there was all these people that were dead set against it because they thought that it would ruin language and it would ruin our capacity to remember things. So they would, like, phone the operator and literally read out the number as an entire number. So they say, can you put me through to 7,649,000, whatever, right? <laughs> just to wind them up, just to make a point. Um, and they were proven wrong, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. actually, the information age has led to a, a, a huge in- explosion in dissemination of information and, mm. and knowledge. Uh, so I think all these kind of arguments that, oh, it's going to be the death of us, or it's going to dumb down and people aren't really going to know how to make things... That's always going to be the case, right? There's always going to be um, a certain element that that, that that don't push the same extremes as another element in, mm-hmm. in society, right? But I think, yes, that to say that, uh, oh, 3D printing is going to kill our ability to design a mould is ridiculous. It'll only make it even better. Because hmm. I guess the, the creative people are going to do something with it rather than exactly. just use it as it is. It's exactly. Like, yeah. It's not good enough just to... I don't know, having an Instagram account, you can take pictures, but you still got to know about composition. Yeah. There's still be people yeah. who do better yeah. with it. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. And yeah. what, it is, what their indeed. advantage is isn't a technological yeah. one. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of what this, ha- a lot of what happens, I find, with technology is it becomes available to everyone. Yeah. So anyone can have an Instagram account. Yes. Yes. So does yeah. that mean everyone's got the same amount of followers? No. no. Why? Because no. some people do it better than others. Exactly. Yeah. And they just and some get people a sense of reading things. more into it and taking more out of it and. And understanding how it works on a subtle level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Yes, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Well, we've been talking a while to try and get you on the podcast because I've always thought of you as someone that innovated. I mean, we first worked together on Doctor Who and that was a bit of a job. That was... Like, swilling out, you know... That was the episode that. one, right? Yeah, the one yeah. with Auton Rose. Yeah. With all the Autons and stuff. Yeah, and it was a yeah. big job it was like yeah. one of the first jobs that i was kind of running i was yeah. kind of in charge of yeah. yeah yeah overseeing the manufacturing of things at millennium and stuff that was also my first real experience of a major effects shop mm-hmm. actually so you got to see how it all went together yeah and you taught me how to put a cutting edge on the skull is that right <laughs> yes <laughs> Now he's all offended, like, I don't remember that. I mean, I remember you there, but I don't remember that particular thing. Dude, I remember it very well. It was, it was quite a moment. And then here you are showing me the, the, the 3D printer that you're using the next, next stage. Yeah, That's yeah. how it works, man. Well, it's like the new school learning from the new school, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's just, you know, you've got to... You've got to just, you know... The thing is, with all this stuff, it's just it's, it's an honest intention. You have a desire to create something. 
And in this case, it was like, well, we use clay for this. And we yeah. Clay. And you're like, yeah. well, I'm using this. Bit. I'm, using, I'm using corn-based thermoplastics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get my shit together. I've heard about that. But yeah, so you've always been. And then I didn't see you for a long time. Then there was a trade show a few years after that. And yeah. you did some makeups. And there was a significant quality that I noticed. Because I really... I think when you were on that job, you hadn't done much makeup, but I noticed there was this like, like fucking stellar leap in like shit. This stuff was really good. Yeah, thank you. I was like, fucking hell, you've been, you. I can tell that you've been working hard. I've worked very to hard. To get to that point. Yes. Yeah. And it seems to me that every time I see you, a little touchstone, every now and then I'll see you at a trade show yeah. or we bump into each other somewhere. Yeah. And I'm like, there's this little thing and I'll see, I know this stuff well enough to know that's significant. Or like when you show me that mold and it was just yeah. like, oh my God, that's, Yes. a big deal because yes. This, yes. This, this is cool it's something you've different you another right? corner yeah. and you see yeah. so I have, in my head I have this you have this trend of just constantly working towards improving things yeah which is a good thing yeah. I don't see a lot of people doing that I don't necessarily see it as improving something you're right? probably not deliberately trying to set out to do that but you no I'm redefining it for myself right? Yeah. and I find that you're you not know, comfortable with established things necessarily if they don't work if they you know yes I'm not comfortable with with Bad status quo. Yeah, I'm not comfortable. I don't like uh, everyone going down a particular route like this appeal to popularity. Yeah, you know when actually the the truth is sitting right in front of you, and and people are, are too invested in something else. To I really think that's a very good point. I think people get and I'm guilty of this. Uh, you get very invested with the way things have always been done because I guess there's a comfort to it. You know, so it's, yeah. it's difficult to walk away from that. But the truth I think is, it's I a think cultural you, thing as well, though. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just something inherent in in humans to want to kind of be conservative. You know, conservatism yeah, yeah. is just a natural human state, and I think a lot of it comes from that. You know, um, I think being the son of migrants, you know, and kind of always being a bit of an outsider. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that point that you mentioned, where you saw that suddenly I'm really progressing. I think it's because of that I started to accept who I was and where I fitted into the world. And I realised, actually, yes, I am a bit of an outlier and that's what I've always done. I've always tried to just redefine whatever environment I'm in to make mm-hmm. it work for me because mm-hmm. I don't have the same kind of cultural cues that everyone else had around me to be able to fit in. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I was always left to just kind of decide for myself how does how does this actually work because, you know... I don't know. And I've got so no one well. telling me. Yes, yeah, so well, now it does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think I'm very, I'm very English. I'm very couched in that kind of traditional thing. Quite a conservative background. But I just, I like looking at things slightly odd. And I'm a little bit, I feel the same, weirdly, that I'm a little bit outside of it. Even though people listening to this might think, oh, you work in makeup place. But I never really feel like part of the establishment. Yes. There's like a kind yeah. of a core group of people that yes. I've never really worked within. Um, and I don't feel like oh, I've been kept out of that, but I just mean I'll happily adopt new things more so because I, I think in a way I've been so well any, rewarded yeah, by not. Do yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, I don't have anyone looking over my shoulder kind of tutting yeah. at me, you know? <laughs> right? I've got a little bit of Yeah, you've got yeah, this like ghost that. in your head yeah. that was tutting yeah. at you. Yeah. But, but when I see the stuff you're doing, I kind of, I just feel drawn towards this and thinking you're it feels like you're doing the right thing, basically. Thank I feel you like you, I hope, I you're hope, on the right tip. I hope so, um, yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, no, proud of you, man. Thank you very much, dude. <laughs> not that oh, I've got no. any right to. It's not like you're my no, kid. No, you do. You, know what I mean? you do but have a, a, right, a right to because, you know, we all have 
We all have like significant relationships and people that we meet who impact us. I think it's just a, it's lovely to be part of this continuum, right? Where you're inspired by that guy and he was inspired by that. But now guy. you're inspiring me back. Well, that's, and you didn't that's, set out to do that. It's just I'm seeing what you're doing and going. I know what I know. And yeah. I know what you're doing, and I'm like, fuck. There's, there's more to. Find. It's like finding another room in your house. It's yes, like, yeah. this is exciting. <laughs> this is like you yeah. know, you don't have the whole picture, yeah. and you never will. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. it's quite cool. I think it's very cool. I but I'm a little really bit cool. daunted about the learning I've got to do. But part of what I think what this podcast will be about is just me kind of exploring my own fear of like, how do I do it? Because if I, there can be other people that are saying that I don't know anything about three. I had no you idea three D printing would affect me. And I don't think you have to like burden yourself with becoming like the the next pioneer. Of, of like this new whole new technology, you know, because we all accept that we all stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Mm-hmm. So even if you just break the ice a little bit for the next generation, so you inspire someone listening to this podcast mm-hmm. who's into sculpting but knows computers and knows that kind of tech to really then push it forward, you know, maybe they wouldn't have got that exposure if you hadn't presented them with that, that mm. kernel, you know. So I think anything that we can do to progress our craft a little bit will have good knock-on effects um, mm. for generations to come. I think as well, it's that thing of like, um, it's regardless of the technology, it's that honest intent, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, you, you know, old school stuff, I mean, there have been makeups from, you know, 50s and 60s, but they're awful. Yeah, awful, awful makeup. Yeah, let's face it. You know, not everything let's that was made it. in the past was brilliant. So it still comes from that ultimate desire to be very honest about what you've done and go, does that look real? If sure. not, why not? How can I improve it? And you're sure. always sort of drawn. Your your compass bearing is is true. You yeah. know, even if your your route might be slightly off. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know you're off. Yeah, because you know what it should be. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is what you were saying earlier about like you're looking at the problem and trying to quantify it from a craftsman point of view. Where why is this wrong? Yes. And fix it rather yeah. than you know. Yeah, than being comfortable like killing yourself. Oh, that works. You know. Yeah, yeah, that's been done before. You know, I can kind of reference that, and then then it will be okay. You know, as opposed to really saying what's the you know yeah analyzing the problem and coming up with a new solution. Yeah, you know. it's like you you like you mentioned that glue. I mean, I've glued down thousands of pieces, but I've never quantified the problem of, of, of glue that's slightly too thick. Yeah, and I was saying you you glued it on your video, and you're saying you know you, you applied a couple of coats, and it was fifty fifty thinned with. Yeah, thinners. yeah, yeah. The reason being, so that the glue isn't too thick. Yeah, because obviously, as I was saying to you, I was like, shit. Yeah, that's a point. Sometimes the glue is thicker than the edge of the appliance. Yes, which yeah. you worked very hard to get. Yes, and well, then you, you have like clearly thicker bits, you know, that are kind of go kind of bubbly. You know, yeah, and they yeah. absorb. I'm sure they absorb moisture and they retain the solvent thinners and things like that. And I've seen ball caps slip. Yes, I've seen pieces, pieces as well. They're under tension and they yeah, and yeah. they slide in a way that Prose doesn't. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. so it's good yeah. that you're thinking like well the problem is the glue's too thick so yeah. let's thin it so yeah. you're, it's almost like a part of your brain is actively scanning for what's wrong and how can I fix it I think that's like an point. obsessive compulsive yeah. problem <laughs> <laughs> don't mention it to my wife okay. yeah. <laughs> it was very tidy when I came yeah, I was like, this is a workshop yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just watch the carpets yeah. yeah oh yeah true <laughs> but then a lot of your methods aren't necessarily so so messy I mean you're 3D printing which saves a lot of time yeah I tried um, to 3D print you know I tried to keep uh, polyester resins to an absolute minimum mm-hmm. I tried to keep resins to a minimum so if I can make something in plaster and and plant them cure silicon I know that it's safe 
and and it's clean ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. And your vac form as well, which is you know, an invaluable bit of kit. Yeah, yeah. And not a massive one either, which is I always think of these vac forms as like occupying like half a room. Yeah. You can yeah. get those, but you can and they're very good, but I mean how many of us need to form an entire suit of armour in mm-hmm. one hit, you know? Yeah. I mean I can fit two faces side by side on that on that former and get really good clean formings, you know. I can vacuum form a neck core on it, for example. So yeah, yeah. So it's good. It opens up a lot good. of things. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I like doing the smaller stuff anyway. Anything that's bigger than a half a body is a pain in the ass. Again, like I was saying <laughs> earlier on, you know, like I didn't, I didn't train uh, at a makeup school or anything like that. You know, my background was, um, I was very lucky to have a very good A level art teacher mm-hmm. who was a figurative sculptor, and she taught me like the core that core skill set, right, of painting and sculpting people and things like that. But after that, I kind of realised, I always knew I wanted to become a makeup effects artist ultimately, but I had no idea of how to get into it. I was completely unexposed to that world. Um, so I suppose the options, and, and to be honest, at that time, the thought of going to makeup school and being taught, you know, and being made to do period hair, or to me whatsoever, you know, I always saw myself as a kind of figurative artist in that sense. So I decided to go down the route of industrial design and product design and model making because I I knew that that was a craft, that I was mm-hmm. going to be taught craft skills as opposed to, you know, I'd go to an open day at, at an art school and, you know, they're, they're pissing on a bit of scaffolding or something like that, you know, and it mm-hmm. didn't appeal to me whatsoever. So, yeah, so I kind of came from that that background of making small things very accurately, and that's kind of what I've always liked, you know. Um, yeah. That's amazing, because, yeah, yeah the, it, I, I went to art school. I went to Wilderness School of Art, so there were two aspects to it. You had the theatre school, yeah. which was, again, split down a design and a practical side, and then you had the fine art school. And okay. it was like we had to go to, uh, we went to an automotive college, Okay. One Friday every ter- every week. Okay. Uh, sorry, half an hour, half a day every Friday uh, for a term to learn to weld. So we right. did all the different welding, and right. so that we knew how to get the gas mix right, how to okay. use a MIG welder, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And then you'd see the fine art sculpting, yeah. and it was like deliberately using bad welds. Yeah, deliberately. To, yeah, and to, it was almost to like, sell to sell it as something that it. Yeah, and it kind of went counter really. to me because I was just looking at it going, yeah, but that just looks like it's been poorly executed. Yeah, and I couldn't get past that, and I'm yeah. a little bit like that. I'm yeah. very. Yeah, you know my so after art college and you know after kind of uh, yeah college I went to did an H and D in in three D design and in, uh, industrial model making and that's some, that's my kind of highest qualification and they were all my te- my tutors were basically the prototype department from Ford manufacturing oh, really? company yeah so what so, did what did you do on a day to day basis so on a day to day basis we'd be given for example. A, uh, a few sheets of MDF or a lump of, of Uriel, of Kemiwood, and we would have to machine a car part. Right. You know, so we'd have to machine the bracket from the inside of a motor. And, you know, I know nothing about cars. I'm not interested at all. But, you know, so we'd machine stuff and would cut it accurately, would sand stuff. You know, we had like this... Remember, we had this stainless steel, solid steel worktop, right, that the guys, the teachers would rub really fine coloured wax over it, over on it mm-hmm. and then we'll take our object and we'd, we'd just rub the bottom of it onto this table the flat the flat bottom rub it on the table to see just how accurately you'd got that flat bottom right. and if it wasn't right you'd 
you'd make it right. So you know, I'd spend days days basically making a hard edge, you know, out of, poly, out of polyfiller and right. you know, two thousand grit sandpaper. And you wouldn't do it like that, that nowadays. No, no, you just print it. Colleges wouldn't. wouldn't no, no, no. Again, that's all gone. That's utterly redundant. Why would we bother when I could just print it? You know, yeah. it would be like trying to take it. Like someone broke into your house. Hang on, I get out my pen and paper and yeah, yeah, yeah. Into your face yeah. <laughs> rather than just take a photo. Exactly, like, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I have a camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 But at that point, already, yes, I was still. Um, you know, they taught me to fiberglass. So I learned to fiberglass. So I was, I was still, do, I was already doing life casts out of friends and making silicon molds of those and making fiberglass duplicates. And I think my first prosthetic that I made was that uh, first silicon prosthetic out of a fiberglass mold was at college for my final personal project. So even in that context of doing kind of industrial design, I was still, trying to align yourself with. I was yes pushing myself in that direction. Yeah, awesome. yeah. yeah. And you've had a busy year, been working on stuff? Um, I've had a very busy year, yeah, it's been great. I've been working on TV shows, work, um, I've launched my flat mould range, mm-hmm. and I've been working on that, so that's taken up quite a lot of time, kind of just doing R&D for that. Doing R&D of uh, trying to come up with crazy new mould making techniques. Yeah, we've been like chatting, that. I mean, this isn't great podcast material. No, it is. We've been talking about an hour at least, just looking at the mould you've made and the techniques and... The vac forms and the inserts, and it's all very. It doesn't. It doesn't do well for audio. But no, it, was, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't. It was very cool. Maybe throw some pictures. But up. I think there is something to be said about it because all I'm really doing is just exploiting the materials of the properties of these materials. Yeah, and none of these materials are new materials. No, you know, no, nothing. No, no, no. no <laughs> just use them in a different way. I'm just actually using them for their. I'm just exploiting their properties efficiently. Mm. Really, you know. Most people use silicon moulds ultimately purely because they release well, mm-hmm. you know. But no one's using like the compressive elasticity of silicon to make better edges. You know, it works. Yeah, comparatively works. You know, but I think there's just uh, you know sometimes it just takes the right kind of person with the right kind of background, I suppose, to see things slow yeah I mean what's good is you've you've clearly got the the cross skills to be able to render something well and neatly yeah but you're not burdened with this is how it's always been done do you know what I mean because there's a point where that becomes baggage and stops you from doing new things yeah and if 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 dropping the baggage also means you make stuff that's shit or in a hurry or it's not very good yeah because you're just trying to bang it out quickly, that also isn't very good. Yeah. So there is yeah. a, a true path. To you know, that, but that's the kind of that's my family history, really. I mean, my dad came to U, the UK from India in the 1950s as a political dissident. Mm-hmm. Right. What did he do? What was his background? What was so his... my my father came from a from a very traditional Hindu family mm-hmm. in in northern India in the Punjab. And this is while the British Empire was still part of there. Mm-hmm. And at some point in his youth, while he was at university studying to become a, a, a district judge, the partition happened. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the, the Brits suddenly decided they were going to leave. And a big, ugly line was drawn through India. And, you know, my dad was a progressive, so, you know, he um, was a member of the local Communist Party, mm-hmm. you know, which was basically what they were doing. He was trying to reform you know, traditional Indian culture. So he was like, let's let's kind of stop worshipping dozens of different gods and killing each other over it and let's start trying to fight, figure out how to 
uh, feed people efficiently and things like that. So I think just kind of going against the established grain mm -hmm. is something that's very much part of who I am. That's and finding new solutions. Yeah, and it's only recently, I suppose, that you start making all these connections. And that must have been odd because I know, like, it must be difficult for him in India. Yeah. And also difficult here. Yes, because, because then you're not understood here either. He was so, not <laughs> understood here, no. You know, and he was a highly educated guy. He had like three law degrees and he was never really fully allowed to practice law in this country because they didn't recognise his qualification. Wow. Yeah. That's a tough one. Is he still with us? No, unfortunately not. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry, dude. But he's a, he's a he's big legacy, legacy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's definitely. amazing. Yeah. And so all these things kind of even though that happened a long time ago and over there it still it still has the effects of that of, yes yeah a kind of tangible yeah. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 it's a big deal isn't yeah, it yeah it's interesting so so your workshop here in the basement this is nice we've got like table I'm trying to describe what we've got a nice big open space in the middle it's a nice big open space there's a staircase to the one side in the corner kind of going up to the rest of the house and then I've in this big space I've got one side kind of dedicated as a as a kind of working area so I've got benches and I've got a, my tall chest and there's filing cabinets where all my makeup and all my kind of usable stuff so there's no silicons in there but there's everything else from tapes glues paints um, plus a bandage scrim you know spare gloves brushes all that kind of stuff is kept in these filing cabinets mm -hmm. with my vacuum former sitting on top of there and then I've, uh, in the middle of the room, on one side, I've kind of got my makeup mirror and my barber's chair. It's a nice barber's chair. Which man. is, a, I bought that on Gumtree for next to nothing and restored it myself. I'm very proud of that. That looks like a 60s or 70s. It's probably chair. a remake, but yeah, it's based on the 1950s Belmont uh, barber's chair. Nice. Very, very swish. And it looks great on camera, and it's great to have clients and do makeup tests here. Yeah, know? and it doesn't shift about when you sit in it. it just no, it. it's really <laughs> steady. You know, like I've had a guy, we did a test here earlier this year, and I think we were in here for like five or six hours. You know, it was, it was a lengthy, it was a very subtle, accurate aging makeup, and we really had to take our time. And uh, it's just a lovely space. Everyone felt comfortable here. Mm -hmm. I've got a sofa over here, so the production crew were able to just chill out and, and do their thing. So it's very nice. And then where we are here, we've got my desk with computer and graphics tablet and the printer and all that kind of stuff. So nice segregated little sections of like messy yeah. stuff, kind of. Messy clean stuff, stuff and then clean office -y stuff. And yeah. then in the back room, we've got the actual wet lab. Mm -hmm. So that's where all the silicon gets poured. And we've got a sink and things like that. Mm -hmm. so, Spray yeah. your airbrush. Cat Spray plastic cat plastic and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's good. You yeah. break it up into different sections. Yeah. yeah. I'm quite impressed that. Uh, oh, the, the extractor booth. Yeah. Again, it, they're not particularly expensive. And when I see people in pro shops just, just spraying cat plastic into the thin air, you know, spraying IPA-based cat plastic, and you see all these cobwebs. Mm. You see how much it collects on the extractor. Yeah. 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 That's just a few weeks' worth. Yeah. You know. That's you know that's not even a kilo's worth of silicon prosthetics, um, that filter needs changing. Yeah, so you do need to. I do think you feel very strongly that if you're going to be using a lot of this stuff, you do have to do it properly. Yeah, especially you know like my studio's at home, and my kids are down here. I want my kids to see me working. You know, I want them to be in this environment, and grow up in this environment where people are busy and people are making stuff and people are like solving problems and coming up with new ideas and quite often my kids after school they want to come down here and work on their own projects mm -hmm. 
because it occurs to them to do that because they've seen you do it. They're just inspired. And they see you enjoy it's just it. the norm, yeah. I want like, that to be the norm. Yeah. I think, you know, in a world where a lot of people that their parents like maybe are working in a job they don't like. Yes. And they come back and, you know, yes. the last thing they want to do is involve work and home life. Yes. And it's yeah. kind of like, it's nice, isn't it, to yeah. not feel that way about what you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you hear of like, you know, you, you meet people that are musicians and their parents are musicians and they say, well... No, yes, uh, you know, I'm the, the next best guitarist, but my dad was an amazing drummer, and, mm-hmm. you know, I just watch him and I pick this up. So I don't necessarily want Grace to become a makeup effects artist, you know. No, but the but fact she's that exposed she's gonna, to you doing... Yeah. And again, it's not, you know, you didn't follow in law. Like no, no. But it's the fact that... No. It, it's almost not what it is they do, it's just the fact that they do something... With passion. With passion, and yeah. you just pick up on it, and you find your own passion. It occurs, whereas, like, something I've noticed at some colleges, and... I don't know if this is a recent thing or if it's a regional thing, depending on where you go. But like, there's a, a, a deficit of aspiration. Like, really? there'll be a, a proportion of the room that they don't want for anything, and they're not. There's nothing that they want bad enough to want to push themselves towards it. It's almost like they're just looking for either an easy path or one of the least resistance. And it's upsetting because you've got to. When I when I teach a class, I love to steer some energy. But if you've actually got to like create the energy on somebody else's behalf because they kind of don't give a fuck about it, that's like you know. <laughs> if I'm honest, thing. I find that very uh, annoying, yeah. slightly offensive, and a waste, an yeah. utter waste. You know, like again, I come from a background where we either made, you know, we had little little choice. There was there wasn't the option of just sitting back and claiming benefits the rest of my life or, you know, mum and dad paying for whatever course third time round, right? You know, like, we come from that background where we made it or, you know, I could have easily been born and grown up in my dad's village in India and I would have had a very different life. Mm -hmm. So I have just, unfortunately, very little time and patience for for that kind of complacency, Mm -hmm. really, I think. And especially, it's kind of obvious, like, I, I have... Uh, conversations with you know friends who are kind of like socially aware and people almost seem surprised at the turn that the world is chain- has has taken you know mm-hmm. but for me I'm kind of like actually this is what the rest of the world is kind of like and unfortunately it's just catching up with the west now mm-hmm. um, so yes I agree that I think the level of complacency is bad it's dangerous it's bad for the future of this country mm-hmm. and I think it's those that that have that um, that drive that real drive to just make something of themselves or, or, or passion for their craft you know regardless of who's watching I think those are the people that will make it in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got to have that energy, haven't you? You've got to You've have that, to have that fire it's in your belly. Number one, it's eighty yeah. percent. Yeah, know? yeah. Because you're going to find shit that's hard work and can't you? You know, you meet stumbling blocks or you dip into areas you can't get past, and it's that overriding desire to create something that will see you through it. Yeah. And it's kind of fostering yeah. that. And I think you're right. The, a big part of that is to show your kids early on yeah. that you have that in some capacity yeah. rather yeah. than, yeah. you know, your daily toil being this thing that they never see. Yes. I mean, the fact that you work at home, same as me, I have a workshop yeah. at home and it's kind of nice. It is Partly lovely. because you don't have to commute. You haven't got a long, you know, you don't have to give up 30% of your day to be stuck yeah. in a traffic jam. Yeah. Um, but also it just means you can, you know, uh, without even actively trying to, you get to show them how you 
how so you problems want to live, and how yeah. things how yeah. work. Like, yeah. like, oh, this went wrong. This yeah. is upsetting. Yeah. You're not throwing it across the room and shouting. It's yeah. like, yeah. And I've also seen that dad hasn't utterly depended on a nine to five to be able to support his family. You know, I'm able to support my family being here mm-hmm. with them, right, and engaging with them and getting them to engage with with what I do. So. You know, they see me working at past midnight sometimes, or they go to bed and I'm still working, and I've got a smile on my face. They're like, mm. Good night, Dad, and good night, kids. I'm just here sculpting still, and I think that's really healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then they have that association with you know the right attitude to work. You know, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's weird. Like we, uh, slightly off topic, but we're like the world of work is changing. Yes. As is, I mean, you know, this this technology is changing our industry. But I think technology is changing every industry. The, the whole world is changing. It's just you only know really your, your little corner yeah, of it. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's changing everything. And a lot of what I think it's kind of, there was a, a, a have you heard of Seth Godin? He's a, a, no. a kind of, um, I'll put a link to his thing. He's a, a kind of an entrepreneur. He's written a load of books. He does a lot of speaking. Okay. And he basically talks about how like we're in a post-industrial age yes. where like we don't, rise and fall like there is still industry we still manufacture but we don't you know that's not what the future is because we can manufacture Uh, digitally or whatever we don't necessarily need someone who can perfectly craft a cube anymore because we can just produce those yeah effortlessly yeah and um, because we're in that it it, it is that kind of new era and people are still trying to figure it out but there's a kind of an, an old business model of how the world works and a lot of people are working still in that and a lot of a lot of jobs are just like it's almost like you've got people. It's like there's like a little clown on a tiny bike riding past. <laughs> <laughs> if if you've got if you've got an entire nation of people that have a very low aspiration mm. and they have no real direction, they're gonna they need money now. Yeah. So you kind of get hooked into a system yeah. and a way yes. of thinking, yes. which you kind of it's going to be harder and harder to get out of. Yes. Which I think as a freelancer. You're a little bit outside of anyway because yeah. you kind of pick and choose. You rise yeah. and fall, and you get used yeah. to the discomfort of not knowing where your yeah. next job's coming from. Yeah, um, and it feels like a little bit more like that's where success will lie, rather than relying on somebody else. And then finding out, oh, I've been laid off because the the model of how our business works now, and sure. I've got no influence over that whatsoever. Sure, yeah. you know. Whereas things like this, it puts manufacturing back into an individual's hands. So now they're the fact that you might have a better version of a, a door hinge, yeah. you can produce and test it. Yes. You know, that's in your yes. hands. Whereas yes. before it needed an entire factory and that yes. decision was someone at the top, you were over a pair of hands. Yeah. So we're in a little bit of a weird transition. I we're think, in a massively tra- massive transition. You know, no, no yeah. one, no one really, the, the old business model doesn't really work. Yeah. But at the same time, there isn't a new one yet to replace it. So it's this kind of Wild West period, right? But it's in, a, in every industry, I think. Yeah, I think you know, it music, is in, with photography. Absolutely, absolutely so. Absolutely you know, so. Even basing your model and thinking, okay, I'm going to make content and then I'm going to sell the content and I'm going to reap the benefits. Even that mm. most simple exchange, right, is kind of redundant now. Right. Because it's based on the old model of doing things. It's based on an old model of doing things. It's based on a model that is effectively based on a very limited market, you mm. know, where you basically have five people in your market and everyone's got cash in there on them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're working your ass off to compete with your uh, with the other five traders. Yeah, because as soon as anyone gets a smell that you're making money, exactly, everyone starts dropping their prices and competing, and it, and it's and it's not really that that great, right? Whereas mm. we're now in this market where or this model where the market's got thousands of people 
right? And they've all got some shrapnel in their pocket. Mm. You know, they've all got a few pennies, you know. Making one sale to one isn't going to change anything. But if, if, you, if you're giving away, like, free sample hot dogs, you know, those thousand people are all going to pick up your free sample, and maybe six or seven of them who do have some money will, will make your sales. So I think we live in a very different mm. world now where... No, I really like um, going back to kind of podcasting. There's a guy called Scott Sigler. Have you ever heard of him? No. He makes wicked horror books, you know. I think someone in our industry needs to pick up the rights to his stuff and make something out of it because it's wicked. He loves his monsters and creatures and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he was trying to self-publish for years, right? Never really getting anywhere with it. And suddenly podcasting first started happening. So he decided to give his books away for free in podcast format okay six seven years down the le- down the line down the line he is number one new york best-selling author right mm-hmm. because he has built he has actually created his own market so a lot of the old models are based on okay there's that limited market there and i'm going to try and find and bustle myself into it right and find mm-hmm. a pitch in this very small market I think what people now have the ability to do is create their own grassroots market. Mm-hmm. It's just knowing where to do that, you know, which is different. It's different for everyone. Kind of like with blog posts or social media. Like there, it makes me laugh. There are like courses on how to market on social media, and it's like the minute you teach that, it's redundant because it's that redundant, must be yeah. what was the past two years. Yeah, it's like yeah, all that antivirus software. If you spent a year developing an antivirus yeah. software, it's yeah. already redundant because yeah, it's already they're redundant. making yeah, because it, viruses. The whole model the is, is is pointless anyway. Yeah, self defeating. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I mean. Is like rather than trying to find the market that to squeeze yourself into, you just you just create it from the ground up, right? So it's that yeah. that old thing of like build it and they will come. Mm. You know, I think there's not enough of that that's what innovation is about isn't it that's yeah, exactly it's, it's what pairing. innovation is about it's saying I'm going to build this regardless yeah. of what the outcome is yeah because you, know? you feel so compelled to do so yeah, something inside you just feels yeah. right yeah. yeah yeah. it's interesting like um, there was a, 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 a UME I think it was a couple of years ago and there was a you know a couple of people showing me their folios and asking me questions and stuff and they were all I, I became very aware that they were all doing things correctly they'd all learned about cutting edges and coloring and all these kind of things and you still get people that haven't figured out that you know getting a good edge and getting the color right is a fundamental skill yeah. <laughs> but once you see a lot of that you kind of go you guys have all figured it out yeah. you know this is there's enough people now that can kind of do that well that that's not really the issue the issue is yes. one of yes uh, either design because yes. the design you know you've executed it beautifully but it's, you know, it's like we're very good handwriting but a terrible plot you know, yes, like, exactly. Yes, because you can teach someone how to write neatly, yeah. but you can't teach someone how to come up with characters and plots. And yeah. it's almost like we need to stop worrying quite so much. About I think you're about totally, and totally right. Focus more on where this goes. On content. On content. We need to feel, feel, you know, like yes, I think you're right that. And not think of content as the way you make your money. It's almost like the content. No, it's emotional. Does it? Yes, does it? By content, I mean like, does it have any emotional resonance or relevance? Mm. Even you know, because just you know, how relevant to anyone's life is a zipper on the face? Mm. It's just not. Do you know what I mean? But some of my best work that I've created, whether it even be for for a horror film, you know, I think it's cool because I have 
at the end of the day, I based it on very real stuff that was going on, you know. So my mother was going through a terrible illness at one point, and I was creating a, a designing a, a monster, like a, a nightmare dream. And I filled this thing with hernias and lumpy bits because actually that's kind of what I was going through. And, you know, the design of the creature may not be as slick as a Carlos Wante design or something like that, right? But it resonated, mm -hmm. you know, and I think anyone that looked at it could feel part of the pain of this creature because it was real, you know, it, it rung true. And I remember uh, listening to Alan Moore, you know, the, the writer, talking about, you know, doesn't doesn't actually matter if a story was based on reality or not you know it doesn't matter if it's fact or fiction if it rings true on a human level then it's relevant mm -hmm. and that's it that's all you need so yes i see thousands of cool monsters and creatures and demons and whatever but does any of it actually mean anything you know it's a weird one isn't it because you get a lot of people that want to learn like ZBrush or something to be a concept artist is like do we I mean how many concept artists do you need do you I mean need, it, yeah. do you know what I mean it's just like yeah. I, I, I come up with good good plots for books it's like yeah. well couldn't you just write the whole fucking book yeah. you know what I mean it's just yeah, like yeah, yeah. now that software allows you to do that yeah. you can yeah. be you know you only need a smaller team of people to produce so maybe instead like one of the things I think is very good I mentioned this on the, uh, another podcast but um, was um, uh, Bolton University um they have a visual effects department and a practical yeah. thing. And one of the projects is they have to produce a piece of footage and they divide up what's going to be practical, what's going to be digital. Okay. So ultimately, the thing they're creating is the footage. Okay. It's not about, here's a sculpture and that's where the yeah. sculpture stops. Yeah. So it has yeah. a kind of a context. Yes. Which I think that's seems so more forward-thinking right? rather than like, okay, you might yeah. have a, a term where, okay, we're going to learn about fabrics. Yeah. Now let's put together let's thing, apply it. Not, yeah, yeah, let's apply yeah. it. So it's yeah. applied yeah. information. Yeah. But that's what craft has always been about, right? That's the essence of craft, isn't it? Is I like, suppose so, yeah. Is that I remember yeah, getting first getting into realising okay, so you have art for art's sake, right? Mm -hmm. Which still serves a function, you know. But then you've kind of got this thing that we call design, which is basically kind of the same skill set you need for creating art, but why don't we call it art? Oh, because it, it serves very particular, sometimes very mundane functions. You know? So it bumps it out of the... It bumps it out, yeah. So thing. it's no longer fine art, you yeah. know, which is rubbish anyway. You know, Grace and Perry did some good pieces about yes. this, about the difference between art and craft. Yes. Um, again, this is probably something I'll put links to in the podcast. And he did some very good wreath lectures, I don't know if you heard them, uh -huh. about, uh, about art. Yeah. But they're, they're fascinating. Yeah. They're really, really good. Because yeah. he's got such a... Again, he's a very outlier kind of character because yes. he dresses <laughs> yes. phenomenally different to most people yeah. he dresses up like a baby doll and yeah yeah. It, it, yeah and his artwork itself is quite straight striking it's, it's you know? quite striking but he has a very very i mean the first time i ever saw grace perry with the, the you know pictures of him of how he looks and i remember my dad being like what's that all that and then when you hear what he's got to say he's so grounded and logical and yeah and it makes sense. It, it makes him, perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. please listen to him because don't judge what you get over that because yeah. it's just, yeah. that's not, you know, what you think that belongs to is not, yeah. you know. And it, it's fascinating that, that there is a definite uh, relationship between art and craft. And there know, is a, uh, and, and, you know, there's art in craft. Yes. Like all good craft has to have at least some art in it, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's just, you know, stuff 
Well, I mean, even stuff like like the, you know Rob Freitas is a very good uh, advocate for the, you yeah. know, the the crafting model, yeah. and you see, the, yeah. so, and uh, frankly, some of it's verging on the pornographic. It's, it's so beautiful. The edges are crisp amazing. and neat, yeah. and yeah. not just him, but I mean, he was one of the the first people that people pointed to and said, "Mold making, that's what mold making is." Yeah, and Carl you Lyon is another one that does exactly. really Carl beautiful and, work. Yeah, you know, and you look yeah. at Brian Best, and you know, yes. you look at some of the stuff yes. they do, and it's like, oh my god, this it's is there's so much, and yeah. it's almost like you know, it could be half as good and still function. Yeah, but that's not why. Yeah, that's not what they're there for. No, to be no. the best it can be and it yeah. you know it's yeah phenomenal it is it is and, uh, so yeah so it works on so many layers because ultimately they could be still be molding a not a very good or very good interest you know yeah. not a very interesting sculpture you know but the mold itself is still beautiful yeah? Yeah, yeah so that appeals to us but i think still you know within effect there needs to be i think more art more emotion mm-hmm. you know um I think because makeup effects has existed in the world of film and cinema and TV and advertising, which is still fundamentally, you know, uh, a very commercial endeavour, we're very reluctant to use makeup effects and prosthetics and things like that to make any kind of social commentary. Mm. You know, so yes, we can talk about artists like like Grayson Perry, who has make, essentially taken a craft, you know, ceramics and and made massive art out of it you know with tons of kind of social commentary yeah we're kind of a little bit scared to do that and i mm-hmm. think it would be nice to it'd just be nice to see more of that you know more yeah. things saying you know yeah yeah it's it is limited it's interesting because we were talking all about all these other things that might use prosthetics because yeah. makeup schools and i'm not going to bang on about makeup schools but a lot of them will have a program Designed to teach people how to work on a film set, and they even call it makeup for media or yeah, or which is you know and TV, which is well, okay. and that yeah. is a that is a career yeah. path. But you're, like we were saying that, and you pointed out, there's there's lots of other craft areas or other areas of industry that could use similar skill sets, yes. but they're not represented. Yes, yeah. and yeah, you, you kind of just want to shape people and go, look, don't not do this stuff but also if you do do this stuff don't just think in terms of well if I don't get on a film then I've wasted my time it's yeah, like yeah. not everyone that plays a guitar is going to end up you know in, in the, no. the pyramid stage of course you won't that's not what it's for surely no, you no. play guitar because you enjoy it because you, you enjoy it and, and if you're lucky you might find a completely new way of being able to present that yeah. skill set you know and that's what it's all about it's day. got to sustain you along the way that's yeah. the thing it's yeah. not like sucking up for five years and then where's my job it's yeah. like yeah. you've got to be able to feed yourself with it yeah you know spiritually yes yeah don't don't try and sell it you know it's like if you have to be true to what you are you know it's like you know if you it's like yes you could write pop music be the Spice Girls you know and sell millions of records but fundamentally, it's empty. Five years down the line, no one gives a crap anymore, and you've probably run out of money anyway. You know, whereas if you create music for yourself, that you know it's true to you, and you do what's true to you, then you're being yeah, you're being true to the universe. You know, and and it will reciprocate. You know, people appreciate honesty. Mm-hmm. I think people appreciate passion, undoubtedly so. You know? And mm-hmm. I think that if you do it for those reasons, then you will kind of find your path, you know. Yeah, yeah. The path will present itself. Like I said, you you will end up inadvertently creating the marketplace for yourself, and you know. Especially if there's a part of you that is tuned to be aware of this. Yeah. Because if you're thinking about 
here are the, the two paths available to me and you, you pour your effort into trying to join those two paths, you're missing all the other ones that are perhaps far better, far more lucrative, the far more suited to you. The first five, six, seven years in my industry, I, of, of me in this industry, I did not do well. You know, I suffered, let's be honest. You know, I felt really bad. I wasn't getting in on the good jobs, wasn't getting with the big shops, you know, wasn't getting with the, with the clique. And and for a long time I thought it was me. I'm not good enough. Is it my fault? And then I kind of clicked that I just wasn't being myself. That's the problem, you know. And uh, like you said, it's only since you start. I started finding my own path and deciding. Well, okay. Well, I don't have to just do the same creatures that everyone else is doing. Maybe if I do what I'm actually interested in, which is like, you know, bonkers reverse five stage mold making, you know. <laughs> Uh, that's actually that's me and and mm. I should just do that and not get, care about anything else and it's once you start doing what's what you really care about and your passion that I think just people notice it's yeah, like so it's, true, it's yeah. like osmosis right it just happens like that do you know what I mean it's like mm. you start so it putting takes time. Up. it does take time you've got to be patient and again it's like we've both established this it's only the people with the patience and the willingness to put the time in mm-hmm. to not just develop their skill set but kind of fundamentally just find out who they are uh, those are the ones that will make it you know? my art teacher Gina the one that I mentioned earlier on she said that to me she said once life is just about figuring out who you are you know and it sounds so cheesy and corny and you know like presumptuous of me to be talking about this on a, a makeup effects <laughs> podcast you know but it's, but it's very true. relevant to everything it's very <laughs> true. yes because at true. any given point you are presumably trying to figure something out in your life yeah you know yeah. whether it's a mold or yeah. how to cope with an aging relative or yeah. your kid's yeah. sick or you're sick yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah you're trying yeah. to make it work yeah and, and you kind of figure out you know what what my strength and that also means what are my strengths what are my weaknesses you know mm-hmm. um am i you know, do I want to be a leader? Do I not want to be a leader? You know, all these things ultimately will influence the path that you take, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We're over in the uh, sort of like the, the messier end of the workshop now. We're surrounded by like moulds and cores and silicon inserts and whatnot. And um, we, we said something that was really important. I want to reiterate it for the, for the podcast was that if Dick Smith was here today, and especially if he was younger today, yes, and he's, yes, you know, I yeah. think he, like you said, he would be all over this. He would internet. be all over the internet. He'd be all over forums and Facebook, giving tips and things like that. And in so many ways, I think there's dozens of Dick Smiths out there now. Mm. You know? There's dozens. Yeah. With that spirit, that trying yeah, to kind of put things yeah, out there. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what the internet does well. Is it kind of connects? I mean, there's there's a lot of like you know. <laughs> there's porn and there's people just being horrible to each other yeah, and yeah. and you know all yeah. that kind of like public shaming and things yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. celebrity yeah. whatever but it's also really good at bringing together like there's tribes of people that are sharing. interested yeah. open source sharing yeah. which um, yeah. seems to be a bit of a theme like you were saying like with Blender and like yeah. that stuff and there's a real benefit to thinking that way yeah. and it's at odds with the old way of doing things it is it's at like odds software it is. And like yes because the old odds was based purely on like you know like property right mm-hmm. you know and this is mine and that's yours whereas we kind of know that you know there's some of you know we're greater than our some of, of the parts right so you know the more of us get together and actually work on stuff then actually tangibly things will get better for everyone mm-hmm. you know 
it's not a kind of hippie socialist kind of attitude. It's, it, it, it's fact. Do you know what I mean? So that, the relationship, rather than one being like the privileged few that produce and then everyone's a consumer, many. yeah, yeah, you actually work yeah. together to work the field together, kind of thing. Yeah, we, we all got to eat, so let's all, all have a little bit of a yeah. hand on the on the till. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, till the soil. Yeah, together in a way. Yeah. In a way. and that needs to happen. I think because we were saying a little bit of that with makeup schools like you know there's like this information you pay your money you go there and you want to leave with the information in your head yeah. as if having that information the same information presumably that somebody else next to you has got yeah. is somehow going to give you an edge and it's not yeah. it's no, not it's what no. you do with it it's what you do with it that counts yeah. and it's engendering yeah. that desire to honestly inquire and improve yes. relentlessly yes. that needs to be taught yeah, because it doesn't seem to be being taught. In because it, I think people think they can replace that. But I mean, you know, are, are we just putting too much responsibility on on makeup schools? You know, and at the, well, end of the day, yeah, the makeup or, schools not still just fundamentally businesses. They uh, are, that but I think use the the tactics that any business would use to kind of uh, justify their their existence. Yeah. Well, I don't necessarily think it's just makeup school in terms of like there was a really good Seth Godin talk. I'll put a link to it about what school is for and it was about it basically industrialization of education so you had a very efficient yes, rows yes. and you will learn this stuff and yes. you're either you can do what's necessary and if you can't because of whatever impediment you have then you're you know a problem and we need yeah. to put you in this other special place and yeah the idea is to chunk people out yeah. as efficiently as possible so yeah. everyone knows the same thing yeah but of course they don't yeah some people you may present the same information but some people yeah. are going to take it and run with it yeah and and flourish and other yeah. people will be crushed under the weight of it because yeah. it's It'd be like me presenting something in Arabic. If you don't speak Arabic, Indeed. then you don't understand you it. Don't understand the information, it. I could have the cure for cancer, but if yeah. you don't understand it, yeah. it means nothing to you. Yeah. And but that that's could the, be... That's know, ultimately the problem with just teaching anything by rote. You yes. Know, that you're really just injecting information, but you're not really giving the person the means. No, but that becomes a scalable them. way of doing things. Because yes. you can teach people yes. how to teach Indeed. if Indeed. it's all by rote. Yeah. These are the texts. This yeah. is what you teach. Go teach. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, yeah. Then, and yeah. it serves its purpose, definitely. But it's not no. good. <laughs> you know, the Greeks came up with this whole system of education, the fine arts, the technical arts, all these things that we use. Those are Greek inventions, you know. So you had like the servile arts at the very bottom, you know, and then kind of towards the top you had technical arts and then, then fine arts, right? But the very highest level that the, the Greeks taught were what they called the liberal arts, okay, which is kind of a bit, sounds a bit weird by today's kind interpretation of interpretation. <laughs> But what they meant by liberal is by is 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 uh, is knowledge is liber as in book as in Latin root for book right uh, so liberal actually means knowledge knowledgeable you know educated as well not liberal being frightened upset by yeah not not like, being yeah like, highly offended yeah <laughs> like bonkers right but this taught this top subject what they did is they didn't actually teach you any subjects they taught you the means to teach yourself anything. So that was the highest form of education you could get within Greek society, was the ability to learn anything yourself. Mm. So they highly prized autodidacticism, right? So your ability to teach yourself anything. And I think that's... So there is a process to there acquire There is information. a process that you can teach that helps people be able to teach themselves anything, you know? And it's based on very simple systems. It's based on a three-step system. Um, but yes, unfortunately, it's not taught. You know, unfortunately, it actually contradicts the industrialization of of education. And, and this all was all processes. before the industrial revolution. Way so, before, yeah, yeah. So it kind of maybe coming back into. I think it is coming back. Yeah, definitely. Information, definitely. So let's, talk let's, yeah. Talk <laughs> let's talk moulds. Let's talk moulds. 
So we're on this table. We've got some cool multi Can I just comment how clean this table? Did you just put this up today? No, well, this is my special table that I use for presentation and for filming on and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. so this is, this is particularly clean. And we've got some stuff. We've got some cool flat moulds. So, yeah, this is uh, a uh, prototype that I'm working on for my range of flat moulds mm -hmm. that are on my website. Uh, this is a new one. So this is a shotgun blast. So talk to me a little about your flat moulds, because the ones I've seen, they seem to be specifically very accurate, beautifully crafted um, wounds yes. that just look like the real thing. They are they the real thing. Like, you know. They are the real thing. So these are all, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, full disclaimer, um, a pig was mutilated in the process of creating these prosthetics. <laughs> he was already dead, but we took him and uh, we shot him with real guns and stabbed him with real knives and axes and machetes and all we that. We did a podcast stuff. on that, do you remember? Yeah, I know, well, I know, Todd, I know. I yes, Todd, I well, you're not allowed there. Well, <laughs> no, uh, well they, they did it in the States, so I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I went out to the Czech Republic to do it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. But that means... Do you get a very good idea about you know what things? These happen? are forensically accurate wounds. Yeah, yeah. so um, we got to see how you know the different range can affect a wound. Um, shooting different parts, so we're kind of shooting through soft flesh, and you'd get a very clean exit wound. Then we'd shoot through very bony areas, and you'd get this massive blowout on the other side where all the bone has come out of it. So it was very interesting, yeah, yeah. And sculptural, I mean, you just can't beat this level of of accuracy, you know. And again, I'd before I did this, I even I remember sculpting a, a, a shotgun blast, pretty much trying to mimic the one that I've got in front of me, mm -hmm. you know, based on images that I'd found. And it was only then when I went and moulded the real thing, I realised just how terrible and 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 how off and <laughs> off my sculpt was. You know, I'd completely made it up in my head, and um, there was nothing real about it. So, so this was nice. So this is great because um, it just not only gives makeup effects artists the ability to have you know really well, nicely made moulds from good in inverted commas sculpts, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it also gives the medical training industry something that they can say, yes, this is accurate. You know, this is what a bullet wound from such and such gun actually looks like. And yes, there are, there's firemen out there now that I know of that have been trained on how to handle different types of stab wounds using my moulds because they know that they're forensically accurate. Amazing. So that's that's, a, that's a interesting uh, take on it as well, like to really think through, you know, the kinds of injuries they're going to come across. Because obviously, you needs know, are changing. You know, military type wounds are now happening in civilian yeah, <laughs> environments yeah, where yeah, perhaps they yeah. might not have done yeah. thirty years ago. Yeah, and the kinds of wounds that people are getting in civilian env environments are changing just because of the nature of attacks are changing. So, you know, th this latest craze of running around slashing people up with knives that has been happening in central London, you know, over the past few months. That's a different kind of wound. Mm. Like Acid that. burns. Acid burns and things like that, yeah. So, mm. um, you know, not to be morbid, but it is very interesting. Mm. You know, well, from a creating, you know, yeah, from simulating reality point of view, they, yes. they are, yeah. I mean, I often think about, we, you know, we have these books and we look at websites and things and people are like, oh, you know, it's not, you're not sitting there rubbing my knees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no I don't actually like, enjoy you know, looking any more than a stuff. surgeon needs to learn about diseases. He doesn't yeah. like diseases. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> he wants to master it so he can figure out how to fix it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you want to learn it so you can reproduce it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what else have we got? So we've got some 3D transfer moulds. Now, this is the kind of thing I've, I, 
think of you as most well known for doing which is like like you say we have a, a whole system of molds where you basically most of the work happens before i mean i think a lot yeah. of the ultra we were saying earlier about like a lot of traditional techniques i think are overhangs from foam and not only from foam but they're from overhangs from the days where they used film right they actually used film so the entire process of filmmaking was so much slower and people had more time so I think there was just more time in the shooting schedule Mm -hmm. to be able to do stuff there was more time in the mornings to be able to put makeups on picture of like um, pictures of John Chambers wearing like a suit and tie yes and 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 he he obviously didn't have to squat down in a corner no surrounded (laughs) by whatever it was like a different uh, pace. It was just a very different pace. Yeah, yeah. It was I'm sure different. he worked hard, long hours, but it wasn't. It's not to knock anything that our forebearers have done. You know, but things have changed. But things have changed, and, and I think to, have to yeah, <laughs> and I think yeah, to just uh, to just kind of deify um, processes and techniques because of an appeal to tradition, you know, mm. is not is not good. No, it's not right. It's not the right way, you know. And certainly, I tell you what, the CGI, the VFX departments, they're not living in the past. No. You know, production, productions in general, you know, studios, they're not sitting in the past. They're totally looking forward to new ways, new cheaper, new quicker ways of producing content. Mm. Um, So, yes, if you can come up with a system that allows you to... Yeah, so I, I, I digress a little bit, but... Yes, the old models seem to be you had your workshop, um, you'd 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 have your moulds and you'd just basically run all your pieces and get them out there as quick as possible and send them to the shop and you know, and as a freelancer I'm quite used to going on set as you know, working for a, an effects company and they supply me the pieces that they've made in the studio, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there's a definite you know, onus on getting it out of the studio as quick as possible and then letting the makeup artist kind of fix it and apply it and, and do all that. Because <clears throat> what I try and do with this system is all that work of like, you know, gluing a piece on and blending an edge and bloody blahs, taking that out of the makeup chair and finding a way to be able to do all of that prep in the workshop. So by the time my actor sits in my chair... I've taken all the hassle and guesswork out of this prosthetic <clears throat> and it goes on in, in a fraction of the time. Mm, you were saying about that piece. We'll, take, we'll, we'll stick a photo on the, on the website. But yeah, so this is a, about 30 seconds. 30 seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds, that's it, to put on, yeah. But obviously yeah. you've got to make the process, you know, going to make the pieces in advance. But you're basically front-loading, you're like front-loading you say, a lot yeah, of it yeah. to make the, 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 the expensive, precious time yes, on set more efficient. much more efficient. Yeah. Which is yeah. a really smart idea. But it's just logical. Because you <laughs> you've got like, the time in the workshop. It's not rocket science. You've got the time, you've got the environment, uh, you've got a, a much more controlled environment. Like, you know, I try and be tidy on a makeup bus, mm. but things get messy and your makeup palettes and your brushes end up everywhere and... <clears throat> It just takes time, you know, whereas, um, yeah, this this piece that I did for for the prosthetics event, I'll describe it. So it's effectively like a jaw, an entire jaw that that encompasses the chin and the bottom lip. Yeah, yeah, take pictures. And then a bit of the the neck and like around the Adam's apple in the front of the neck. So it's kind of like a T-shaped piece, if you like. And it's all made um, out of a, using plaster mould so there's no no 
fancy toxic polyurethanes or polyesters or anything like that. It's all cheap stuff that you can effectively buy in your local art supplies store. 3D transfer, so I go through this process that's a little bit different. So I make my pieces in, in a different way. You know, I still pour, but I don't use any encapsulant on the core. You know, I have a, a my core is effectively loaded with release agent. So when I run my piece, I know my cap plastic is going to stay in that silicon negative. Mm -hmm. So it allows me to then demold it, leaving the piece in in a in the silicon negative, and then I can transfer it straight out of there onto the skin. So yeah, that 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 took thirty seconds to put on. It mm -hmm. really is a case of you know it, it, all the you know you demold it, you clean away any excess release agent. You trim your the cat plastic flashing in the mold. So again, even that is done in the mold, right? So there's no like careful blending. I see the, I see makeup artists blending edges, you know, sitting there with a brush and solvent, like trying to strip it away and blending it off to the skin. Whereas that, all of that is done in the mold. Your act mm -hmm. is not even there, right? Mm -hmm. So literally, is literally is a case of your actor comes in or your performer comes in. I I, I prep their skin, I clean it, you know, and I put the glue on. The piece is already glued as well, and it just fits into place, peels off, and you can just get on with painting. You know, in this case, I've also tried to push pre-painting pieces intrinsically. You know, one of the there's a couple of flaws to this system, right? A, yes, you can't necessarily pre-paint your pieces particularly much, and you can't do hair work, so you can do like a transfer of a brow with punched eyebrows. You know? But certainly, a lot of the painting you can do so that had most of the the scar already pre-painted and the the lip itself is now is that a, a guesswork thing you've just got to take a best guess while painting in reverse, you, you kind of have to take a best guess but it's not rocket science either you know because you can just demold run a piece demold it yeah paint it as you normally would and just have an idea of what you've done yeah, you know, have an the idea deep of the, colors are in the yeah, high points. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think the the worst that you can do, obviously, because you're painting onto like a clear silicon surface as opposed to a flesh color, you know, the dilute the the dilution of the color that you're using can be a bit vague. But once you get the hang of it, you know, I I, I just have a system of I'll, I'll you know, in this case, there's a scar, so I kind of dry brush the scar with some capillary, and I do a bit of flicking into the mold as well with some of the skin tones that I know that I'm going to use. I also use tons of flock in my silicon. Mm -hmm. right? That's something that I definitely do. And not just to, like I use seven colours of, of different flocks. Everything from, you know, a couple of different blues, a couple of different reds. I use a, um, a really warm yellow gold kind of colour. I use an olive colour. I use a, a kind of beigey taupe. So all this kind of stuff. So again, like... You know, I try and my my approach is uh, match the skin as the, the silicon as much as possible to the actor's skin tone, but religiously, mm -hmm. and then it just doesn't really need much paint after that. You know? It helps it make you a lot more realistic. A lot more realistic, more, yeah, a lot more <laughs> natural. You know, it's the the actor feels less conscious because they know they're wearing less makeup. You know, you've done less to them, so. You know, and I'll tell you what, you know, I mean, I've, I've been in a situation where my actor has sat down, he's closed his eyes, um, I've transferred these things on and a minute later he's opened his eyes and he's now a different person, right? And that sells. 
you know the the confidence you get from your actors they feel great they're like yeah. wow this looks amazing and it's only taken 30 seconds i'm done i'm good to go you know yeah. and they get excited about it and and it's fun you know i think it's amazing as well as like the fact that you could reproduce these so you could make multiple pieces in advance so you, the old yes. way was that you'd have to use that one mold and yes. reproducing the mold was a perilous business yes because yeah. you had two rigid materials that had to meet yeah and yeah. if they were slightly and out it's a nightmare you know yeah. it was yeah. fucked yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah um, so you've taken that out of the equation by making it not guarantee, but pretty much guarantee. You know, and I've had this discussion with other makeup artists, and they're like, "Oh yeah, but you know, you're not quite sure where your edge is going to go." And and the truth is, is like, you know, I have, I have a one or two meter, uh, two millimeter tolerance at most. Yeah. Right. And who's going to know? You know, no one. No, well, certainly, no if you've got a lot of it. characters, like if you had a whole group of people, like you say, you're doing like you know Game of Thrones, and like, yeah. you know, thirty yeah. background guys. Yeah, and they're covered in mess. You know, yeah. it would be better if we could all start work two hours later. Yes, because we've yes. reduced our chair yes. <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah, it means you have to know yeah. more about the molding and the casting bit. Yeah, but that's what you do in the workshop, which is less expensive time than being on set. Yeah, yeah. You know, I go through a couple of extra processes to create my three D transfer molds than most people normally would. Right. So let's assume that most people make a two-part rigid mold well that's about as easy and as basic as you can get you know next up from that is and i still see plenty of people doing this is a silicon negative so you still make a matrix mold and you mold your sculpt right and then you run your pieces i just go through one extra process which is i get a plaster duplicate right of my sculpt so i'll still pour my silicon onto my sculpt and I'll get a plaster positive you know, out of that, which is a duplicate of the sculpt on the core. And then I rework the plaster sculpt. So I don't texture plasticine. Don't bother. It takes too long. I find it frustrating and slow, you know. Do you tool all your texture into the... Into the plaster. The plaster. Yeah. You get a much nice crisper line. You get much crisper. I find I can get both positive and negative texture in plaster way easier than you can. Do you actually do the ray texture as well? With yeah. Plaster? So what I tend to do is I'll get the plaster out tidy up all my edges with a with a file or anything like that and then I'll carve all my pore texture and my kind of fine lines texture and then I soak my plaster right I then mix up a small batch of quite wet plaster and I flick it on with a toothbrush mm. and, and the wet plaster yeah, the wet bar totally absorbs and, and bonds onto that wet plaster and then I'll let that dry out and then I add more another layers of texture on top of that mm -hmm. so i'm i know like you know i'm achieving layers of texture that are with um fascinating because you're not worried about damaging the previous exactly i've done something similar with some of the flat molds i've done where like if i was doing like scales and then there's torn flesh in the top i make the scales first mold yes. that yes and then you've got a hard copy of just the scales yeah. and then you can merrily sculpt yeah. your flesh surround yes. without ever damaging yeah the scaliness underneath yeah. so you're yeah. building in layers yeah yeah and it's and, you know much way. like i can do with this i can uh, sculpt on my pore texture and it does tend to look quite harsh but by the time I've flicked on top of it A, that softens a bit but then I'm able to go back over that with like the fine line texture that then suddenly interacts with each pore and each positive lump yes, in a way that you can't get yes. with clay and that right? does happen with skin it's exactly what happens with yeah. skin that's yeah, exactly yeah. You've, got, you've got layers of negative and positive texture interacting with each other, feeding each other, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's good fun. Can <laughs> yeah. you just kind of just do and it away with it? Scratch and... away. Uh, so yeah, I do my structure and form in plasticine, and texture in in 
in the plaster. What kind of pl- people are going to ask? What kind, what of, kind plaster of plaster? What kind of kind of plaster scene you like? Um, I've been clay, using right? Monster Clay for about a year, right? right? Because because I'm not worried about edges, right? I find that I can still get a good sculpt with you know, can I. I like sculpting with monster clay and I like being able to work the surface of it. Mm. Uh, it's notoriously bad for, for edges, right? For it blending breaks off. down. It breaks down. It's got a hardness that the other European clays don't have as, you know, I yeah. think they're much waxier, gummier. Yeah, like Siobhan. Uh, like Siobhan, yeah. yeah, yeah. It kind of spreads in a way that, that... I think it's something to do with, like, Newtonian physics, right? So it seems okay. to me like, <laughs> like uh, monster clay is a non-Newtonian has non-Newtonian properties, right? So that the harder the the force exerted on it, its properties change. So I think if you try and get it really thin and really smooth and really blend it out, it goes brittle and breaks, right? right, right. Whereas regular clays are more like Newtonian fluids, so that they will just keep flowing and keep flowing and have the same properties all around uh, regardless. Right. Uh, the forces being yeah, it sounds far away. <laughs> I think I know what you mean. Yes, I yes. think I think like uh, that thing you make with flour and water. Yeah, like if exactly. You hit it, it's hard. But exactly. If you push your finger, it slowly. Yeah, exactly. It sinks in. Exactly. So it's that. Yeah, it's that. I think there's something like that going okay. on. Okay. But yeah, so I was sculpting monster clay um, or chavant, either or really, and then the plaster I tend to work in is a fifty-fifty mix of crystal and fine casting plaster. Which in the States would be like uh, Ultracal. Ultracal. A little bit of Ultracal mixed with Hydrocal. I suppose so. So you it's, know, it's been a long time since I <laughs> paid any attention. But what you want is a plaster that if you scratch it lightly with a tool, it does leave a mark. And yeah, yeah. You don't like, want it to be yeah. like, Ultracal 30 is like, you know, it, it's really, really hard. So yeah, too, I so mean, probably I can ultra, show you some probably, of, um, you know, is probably fine. I'm using, effectively, I use a lot of metal dental, the stainless steel dental tools yes. for carving into the plaster, right? Because they're very fine and, and they've got slightly different shapes, so you can have deeper pores or, or whatever. But yeah, you want something that, with this, you can... You can definitely carve lines and pores into it. But of course, you don't want it to be so soft either that you're going to destroy texture that you've already as you created work as you work over it. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's about finding a happy balance. Sometimes I'll even uh, soak my plaster to make it a little bit softer if I need to. Or I will bake it out in an oven to make it really dry, to make it a little bit harder if mm. I need to as well. So okay. there's ways that even within like you know the one bit of plaster, you can still get a bit of play in either direction by using mm. moisture. I think I'm right in saying I didn't work on Sleepy Hollow, but I know a lot of people did, and I think Kevin Yeager had a thing where they would sculpt things and then mold them and then make plaster versions and then clean up the plasters. Yes, because you don't accidentally damage. Yeah, or it might have been live cast. I'm not sure if it was live cast or you know, I've they done were making cast. heads. Yeah, I've done live cast like that like with that. Connor as well. We've we whereas we've just re you know we've done the opening of eyes straight yeah, in the yeah, plaster yeah. because that way you don't inadvertently damage the rest of the structure. Yeah, yeah, for the sake of it, yeah, just being the one thing. Yeah, but um, that yeah. is fantastic, and it, yeah. yeah, it just gives you a much harder, crisper kind of finish. Yeah. That you wouldn't get with plastiline. Having no. worked a lot with plastiline, you yeah. know, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably do with monster clay actually, because it can be harder. Yeah, you can freeze it with that. You can freeze spray. it. Yeah, but the point is, you're, you're trying. But um, to... you know, even with flat mold, so I'll still plaster master a flat mold, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it just means that yes, so uh, you know, the plaster mastering in, in the context of three D transfers has a very specific purpose, right? 
but yes, even just for a sculptural medium, you can plaster master flat moulds and you will still get much nicer texture, uh, much finer texture. You will, trust me, I don't care how good your sculpting is, you will see your plasticine edge when you duplicate it into plaster. Wow. And you're able to then t tidy that away, okay. bring your texture out slightly if you need to as well. I have to do a little video on that. It sounds very yeah, exciting. It's very you fun. Are you going to do any Yes, I'm going to be doing more stock sculpting videos, mould-making videos, Amazing. plaster mastering. Yes. Excellent. Yes. And hopefully all of it open source. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's it fun. is because it's like, that's the point. It's like, you don't want to be like, oh, I know how this technique's done, so therefore you're not allowed to do it unless you pay. Because that nowadays, that's such a... A wank way of doing yeah, stuff. Yeah, it is. It because is. it's like, oh, it's just that one piece of information which, if I had it, I could yeah. completely derail your entire yeah. operation. Yeah. But the analogy yeah. I would use is kind like, of putting all your eggs into one basket. It right? is. It's weird. Yeah. It's like, oh, if you know how to make a, sub a sandwich, then Subway can't exist as a business. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not what. <laughs> yeah, a silly analogy, but I could either put all my eggs into one into my one basket, or I could distribute them amongst my entire village. And then I don't have to worry about people nicking them. Because they've already got Because they've already got their own eggs. <laughs> and when you think about it, you go, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Suddenly you don't need to have a lock on the door anymore. Yeah, because it, the, 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 you've, you've just, re, you know, you've taken the, the um, you know, the lack of resources yeah. out of the equation, right? Or the scarcity of resources. It'll be interesting. I think it's will divide the people that listen to this because some people can be very, very pro. Uh, bring, it, bring it on. Bring it on. As I say. But it, it's, in some things, it's like, yeah, but that clearly doesn't work as a For information in the internet age, when it's so easy to spread info, like good information, it seems weird to not. To not want can. to share it, yeah. Share it. You know, and I again, it would be, I think, arrogant of us to just say, well, ours is the only way, you know, open source is the only way. Like, it doesn't work for everyone, not everyone. You know, there's some very good artists out there with no social skills whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it would be wrong of us to attack them because of that deficit in yes. their personality, you know. Um, so I'm not going to say that this is the only way, but I think that as a model, it's still perfectly valid. Yes. And it has benefits to our craft and the future of our industry. And you've benefited directly from it. And I've benefited directly from it. And, so, yeah. you know, people around me have benefited um, directly from it. And I'm able to, you know, um, kind of inspire the next generation as well, which is just such an amazing feeling, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I definitely think that I will be doing more of this. I'll continue experimenting and, and showing people what work, what I think works and what doesn't work and also just trying to find new solutions yeah to to old problems that are still very much in people's faces I think that's an important thing to engender in people isn't it that desire to kind of pick apart things and not just sit with established wisdom and say yeah. well, this is how it's done though. Yeah. and now I've learned that way yeah. and that's how I'm going to do yeah. it it's, yeah. Like, yeah. it's a way but it's not the way well it's just like you know when thinking of logical fallacies right there is a there is an appeal to tradition and there is also an appeal to uh, popularity, mm -hmm. you know, and they're kind of at odds with each other, yet they're still fundamentally both fallacious ways of thinking, you know. The truth lies somewhere in the middle, mm. you know, and I think that's the case with this, the, you know, somewhere in the middle, it's like we've basically just got to come up with stuff and share it, whether you kind of like it or not, and not get annoyed if someone else does come up with something really cool that they've not... They don't want to share just yet. It's right? true, isn't it? Yeah, if you've got this thing you've worked on and it's yeah. like all protected, then someone does yeah. something better yeah. and make it free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
interesting. This is kind of bad timing, right? Yeah. But likewise, if, if you're working on something and you're like, look, I'll, I'll show you, but I don't want you talking about it, right? Because this is my thing and I'm working on it. You have to respect people's uh, boundaries as well, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 I think it's a very... Um level-headed way of looking at things because it is that otherwise you get polarized into one or the other and it's like yeah it's such yeah a... and look polarization is the worst thing that's happened to our entire society right now you know we're all being polarized in one direction or another and there's very little middle ground you mm-hmm. know and um i'm definitely a middle ground kind of person yeah because you know well connected to the results of, of that extreme yes. Yes. mindset one way or the other or exactly. how to do a rubber nose yeah. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. it's the same yeah. work at force isn't yeah. It? yeah it is it is, it is. what else can we show you this is a bit long because it's solid silicon block models that we made can I take a few are they, can I get fun yeah yeah yeah, please yeah. Well? yeah oh wow so, I like how you got your little Oh yeah, I've started branding all my moulds, so I've put a little... I've got a, a 3D printed mould of my logo. Right. So I've just got a cup here full of like little pink silicon logos that I drop into my clear silicon moulds, so everything's, <laughs> everything's branded. So even if, you know, like, even if it ends up in a trade show or whatever in display... Yeah. Well, Mark a piss just rub like, off, wouldn't it? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, this is a mould for... Uh, a a cheek stroke jawline prosthetic on one one side. Do I detect uh, zinc stearate? You do, yes, yes, yeah. well spotted. So um, I don't normally work, this core is FC54, mm-hmm. and then the negative is a solid block of um, T40. Right. Right. But still from a plaster master. I was going to say, because this is a very distinctive yes, shape. Yes. Yeah, let me show you this edge. The master for that. So, so we went through the same process, right? And I, I'd done my sculpts ah, on yeah. on this resin core, mm-hmm. and I just made a a, a butter mold, mm-hmm. right? Just made a buttered up mold with life form, and got a plaster so out nice of that. And quick. Yeah, with flashing on it and everything like that. I kind of wanted to try this, and I plaster mastered it, and ended up with this plaster of the sculpt. Um, on its core with the flashing right you know and again I was able to just carve into the surface of the core to like you know create my my gasket my texture gasket Mm -hmm. and you can see that I've done lots of flicking to add positive texture to it as well nice and then yeah yeah I got that from Neil's magazine from the prosthetics magazine he'd done the nose I think like like this. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and yeah, it was a nice level, and it also yeah. has that kind of nice scoop. Yeah, you get an hibiscus, so like this edge of your mould is nice and rounded. Wow, that's so cool. And then from that, you've got your silicon. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I found, I'm not happy with this. I don't think this worked um, personally. What I found that is when I uh, put my core in place, and I was using stage weights. Mm-hmm. Basically, I found that the silicon itself blows out. Right. It kind of expands horizontally from the pressure exerting on it. Right. From, you know, downwards pressure and just blows out. So I was not getting particularly great edges. You know, I was I was trying to do what everyone else does and encapsulate both sides, hence the zinc. Right. Could you have maybe like a, a some kind of... Yeah, so that's what I ended up doing is I ended up creating a band of plaster bandage right. around the silicon mould. Uh, and then when I put my pressure on, I got good at, you know, I got pretty good edges by the end of it. Yeah. But what I found I was having to do was still do my 
my my washing up liquid release on the core. So I was pulling them out in the end without any encapsulant on the inside. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you just soak it to reactivate that, and or you don't even soak it. Just no, no. No. Fantastic, and then they just washes off the water. Yeah, it just washes off the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So generally speaking, like I don't, I don't like using any waxes or any kind of chemical-based release agents for prosthetics. It kind of seems nonsensical, right? Because you're either going to try and put glue on the prosthetic, or you're going to try and put paint on it. You know. Mm-hmm. So if you've got, you know, waxes and zinc and stuff like that, it's just going to mess with it. So I try and have as little to no release agent anywhere near. Um, or if I do use release agents, yeah, I'm going to use something water soluble. So I'll use fairy washing up liquid. I use KY jelly, mm-hmm. hint, hint, uh, very cool as a mold release. I'll use soft soap. Soft soap is an old school plasters, plaster workers mold release mm-hmm. um, that I don't really see getting used at all, but it's a very good water-based, um, water-soluble mould release. Okay. So you can actually paint that onto your core as a mould release and then just run it under a cold tap or even use a spritzer bottle and just get a bit of water in there and it just reactivates. Amazing. Um, and you just wash it off. And you just wash it off, yeah. yeah. Like Rob said in his, in his, um, in, in, in his episode, you know, uh, silicon's a hydrophobe. Mm-hmm. So even if you do get this thing wet, you can just shake it and the water's gone. You know? mm-hmm. Nothing, you know, you don't get water sticking to it. So it's a very quick, um, simple solution. It's amazing. It works really well. So if this is a technique, so you know, it's good that you tried that, but that's quite recent. That, that you mentioned that magazine article. So, yeah, yeah. So you're still trying I'm things out. Always all the time. trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I you know, I don't really don't. You know, I'm, I'm kind of convince myself that I've I've now perfected 3D transfers but that's just me kidding myself you know I'd always still yeah go back on my own like I said I think you know if you're not willing to try and deconstruct your own ideals Mm -hmm. you you know you run the risk of believing your own crap but I also think you are because you're experimenting and trying new things out you know accepting the fact that you're going to fail with well say fail what I mean is it's not going to work how you think it's going to work so Okay, why? Yeah, and then uh, yeah, it. that's the and key. And then you're constantly moving. It? it means you're always trying new things. So you're not sort of again. It's not a case of like old school thinking where it's like, well, this is how we do stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that's how it's going to be done. Yeah, yeah. It's a case of yeah. Is there any other way? Of- well, like let's decide. Where what do we do? Are we artists, right, working purely by intuition and feeling, or are we scientists going through a, a you know a a peer review process do you mm-hmm. know what I mean and mm-hmm. if X amount of guys say this is the right way of doing it then that's science right that's that's it that's bible uh, and I don't think either of them are, are quite right like I have no problem with coming up with something using a scientific method right of testing variables but yeah so what if I've if I've come to my conclusion and proved my theory I'm still going to tweak variables because it's fun and I, and mm-hmm. I can and mm-hmm. and I might come up with something completely unexpected mm. you know and I think that's where innovation lies you know you look at, at big companies like 3M for example who have taken that spirit right of experimentation and actually actually turn that into a major business model you know so they're I believe I don't know if this is still going, but at one point, I think fifteen to you know if you work for three M, fifteen to twenty percent of your pay time was dedicated to doing whatever you wanted to do. You can literally you can you're allowed to go to any other department 
and pick up materials and start tinkering you know and they actively encourage that because they appreciate that kind of outlier aspect mm-hmm. and that kind of happy accident aspect kind of, of foster where, that yeah you, you need to follow, yeah yeah absolutely you know? and uh, i think they've got almost like a one-to-one product to employee ratio right you know that's huge they've got hundreds of thousands of products you know yeah 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 but that's how you do it, isn't yeah. it? You build it into the system. You build it into going, the system. Oh, now we're going to pay for development. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you yeah, build yeah. it yeah. into like, the no, business. I don't. I want to play it utterly safe this time. You know, yeah. like I, you know, no, I don't. You know, I don't mind taking risks. And you know, we got it to work in the end. We got a really good makeup out of it, and everyone was very happy. So, but you could identify what the problems were by where the edges were bad yeah, and yeah. what happened because yeah. it probably didn't noticeably stretch. But you could figure out from where the edges were. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it was funny. It was at the deepest points, mm. right? It was along this this edge, which is kind of closest to the top so there was the least amount of silicon to stop it from compressing yeah so it's all great and you know you just i think this is how you learn your kind of intuitive understanding of the materials as well is by making those mistakes with them amazing good stuff dude want to get some maybe some close-ups of your skull sure is that sure yeah yeah definitely the light here is really cool and i think it would make some interesting photos just so people can see what they're And I mean, I know you've got some pictures on your Facebook and stuff because when you did this, you. Yeah, when I do these uh, these demo makeups, I do try and do them within the context of like, you know, it isn't just about the makeup going on at the trade show. Like, I want people to be able to uh, trace what I've done, how I've done it. You know, so it's just as much like the the processes and the materials that I've used are part of the demo, yeah. just as much as the actual end makeup. You know. I think this is the thing. You've still got to put the arrows in and be prepared to take risks and, and try things out. And I think that's one of the things I think... I think when people start... If they if they start their makeup career going to makeup school, I think there's so much weight on you because you paid your money and all this kind of yeah. thing. You, you feel like you've you got to come results. out with results. Yes. And that kind of prohibits that Which playfulness. Is, unfortunately, yeah, it just happens that most of the time that result is one makeup that you've done, Right. That generally is like a full head makeup done in foam or whatever, you know, but and you struggle to make it and it's big ugly moulds and things like that. And uh, yes, you've gone through all these processes, but what do you get out at the end of it? You just get one picture. Whereas I think if people actually spent their time experimenting and making mistakes, I'm way more into seeing a portfolio just full of like mistakes. Yes, failed. <laughs> failed, like this is a failed mould, this is another failed piece, this is another failed piece, you know, yeah. instead of like two you know, well photographed. I think that's a very valuable makeup. thing. I think if, if, if something goes wrong and it probably isn't by the current way it's being taught, but if there was like a mold that went wrong, if you did like a whole project on like, not a project, but just a piece of work yeah. on, okay, this is why I went wrong. This is why, like you identified here, yeah. when I put weight on, yeah. it spread out yeah. width ways, which meant yeah. I needed to retain it with this. But yeah. it happened more specifically here than there. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore that means, yeah. da, 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 oh, yeah. like the thing I did, and you said that, you yeah. know, you noticed that I hadn't got any touchdowns yeah. between the, the core and the mold. It's yeah. like, well, that's going to be a problem because yeah. then you can't regulate how much yeah. to clamp. Yeah. It's not or the job of overclamping it, it yeah. to get that seal that yeah. comes from, and it's like, ah, you know, yeah. so you, you've identified the problem, which yeah. is, you know the way it should be, um, and that does. There's not enough kind of att- attention on that, and I just think thinking like that is really good 
I think, that's ultimately <laughs> the, I think that's ultimately the problem of the fact that, like I say, we sell our trade to the film industry and, to the, and the TV business. So it's all about we're kind of blindsided by the final result and how good does the final... You know, and I love looking at pictures of beautiful makeups. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we all do, right? Um, but that's not the end result. I was, yeah, no, it's not, it's not even the end result. You know, a beautiful makeup. It's what you learn in the process. Mm-hmm. That's what you t- kind of take along with you, yeah. right? And then how you apply that. So I think if you're not experimenting, you're not making mistakes, and you're not encouraging. And you know what? I wish I had the guts to like Instagram all my mistakes, but I don't quite have <laughs> that yet. But how cool would that be to to people to say, yeah, look, this is a. And I think I, when I get to show this makeup because this movie hasn't hasn't been broadcast yet. I think once this is out, I will show every iteration from like the first test that I did, which was horrific, you know, because the edges were terrible because I couldn't get this mold to work, to the end point where it's a pretty decent makeup because I've got it all to work. But mm-hmm. I think if people get to see, no, this isn't what you see here is just the postcard of like the of the whole experience that we went through, you know. Yeah. yeah. And actually, the relevant stuff is the mistakes and the tweaks and the tricks that we used and you know. the things you learned along the way yeah but that yeah it's it's an important part of it but again it's not something you can teach when you've got a three-month program or whatever and we have to cover these things in that no, time and, and, maybe, no and, and, and it. maybe it's just not for the schools to teach that stuff yeah maybe yeah, that's yeah. just not their responsibility it's still our duty though to inform like this next generation be aware Guys, this, this is what's important yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah is your drive and your interest in it not just you know how many likes you get for a picture or how many uh you know or just how kind of cool that that you know or how big you're able to do a makeup you know yeah that always bugs me when i see big makeups yeah done but and then they'll ask you like and like, oh i couldn't get my edges right my colors yeah. right and you're like, yeah, yeah it's like no well maybe you should have just done a cheek you know yeah, or a yeah, chin yeah. or do something you know. small yeah yeah so again this is why you see most of my you know very rarely will i do a makeup that covers the whole face almost always just use sections you know because i think the more that you can rely on your performer i think that's another big flaw that i see is people they come up with an idea cool idea i want to do this demon and i kind of know what he's going to look like and i'll just find anyone that is willing to sit and i'll impose my design on top of their face whereas i try and do the opposite and design my makeups entirely around the person that they're going on to make their, their face work better yes, or different yes rather than so rather than using silicon to change someone's appearance you mm-hmm. know or to put a mask on top of someone and then use their mechanics just to bring it to life i try and use prosthetics to tweak what's already there mm-hmm. and accentuate what's already there well, i guess once you've got a, a system where and a skill level where you can match someone's skin tone and not have edges visible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm that's then the new kind of epoch because yes. now yeah now you're actually making new faces yeah. and you don't there's no yeah it's kind of like, when, like working in photoshop you know if you're working on layers you don't have to change the whole image you can do a yeah. tiny thing and yeah. it's imperceptibly blended yes. into the rest of the image yes. yeah. so to all intents and purposes you can't yeah. see what's been changed yes it's just yes. different it's just different and yeah. you want to do that to a face yes that's exactly what we want to do to a face if you don't want to go to someone and say you know because you hit that uncanny valley thing right whereas you might have this big makeup that everything about is telling you like me respect me look at all the work that's gone into this you yeah. know but, like, but yeah but it's still not work this doesn't work it's know? true i mean i think i've seen like a lot of neil gorton's age makeups i think they look fantastic and they really work 
and that, that that's a good example of someone that's really working the yeah. right way to create an age makeup and I've seen yeah. other people do makeups yeah. um, where it looks like they had a good time sculpting it yeah. but it yeah. doesn't look like an old guy yeah, yeah. whereas yeah. a lot of Neil's ones do and it's almost yeah. like he's got all that out of his system yeah. ages ago and yeah. now he can focus on what actually matters <laughs> on what actually and matters, I think yeah. that's that's yeah. one of the things that determines a lot or makes it distinct distinguishes people who are dabbling to who go all out is you can see that they they burn through all that stuff yeah and and they figured out what matters yeah you know I was, i've been very very lucky to work with floris schiller a lot mm-hmm. lately you know and i was assisting him on the tracy Ullman show yes and he was yeah, turning yeah. out like you know to beautiful class look-alike after top class look-alike right guy's a genius um and he would he would send me photos of his progress sculpts sometimes, right? And you know, so I'm I'm used to seeing Tracy's face. I know what her life cast looks like, blah blah. And he would sometimes send me a photo of you know four very crudely placed lumps of clay on this life cast. So a bit around the label fold, a bit between the eyes, you know, very very messy. But I can already see the character there. Yeah, but the fact he's chosen to put those bits in those places—that's the key. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is already yeah. the right choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> likewise, you know, he, he says, you know, just a piece ends where it needs to end. And this is another thing. You People think this is, they, they make a mask. So you sculpt a mask. You sculpt, it covers everything, you know. It's like, no, if a piece doesn't need to cover the forehead, then it doesn't, shouldn't. Yeah. You know, so if a, one of Floris's sculpts finishes smack bang in the middle of the face, but that's where the character yeah. needs it to finish, that's where it goes. Dan, do they work as makeups because his sculpts are great and you know he's he's captured the essence of that character. You know, the silicon is just you know, do you know what I mean? Everything else is just an afterthought. He's he's captured the character uh, and and decided where to put the clay where it's absolutely needed, and that's mm. it. You know, mm. that's the delicate that. thing, isn't it, with the lightness yeah. makeup because yeah. you know what the person is supposed yeah. to look like. Supposed to look so like. the stakes yeah. are quite high. Yeah, it is very. High. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. You know, yeah. I, I don't know how he does it because. It will still be Tracy, yet it's clearly the other person yeah. as well, you know. And I think yeah. there's a real... That's art. Uh, yeah, that's art. Cool. That feels like a natural conclusion to me. Yes, yes. And it's also nearly two o'clock. Yes. So I've got to get my makeup kit then. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Dude, thank, thank you. you very much, sir. Thanks, yeah. dude. That was amazing. amazing. I loved it. That was a really was good really, chat. Really cool. And um, thank you for letting me see your workshop and all the, all You're the cool welcome stuff. To, you can welcome around any time. Cheers, man. Yeah, oh, cool. Grayson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you, it, it was it was a really good chat, and the whole Grayson Perry thing kind of popped up. He often does, but yeah, he's a, he's a strange one. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting guy. that he's considered such a powerful human being. You know, I I personally I love folk art. Um, I think his stuff is is pretty cool looking, but it's very reminiscent of a lot of American uh, folk artists. Uh, my sister was was friends with with a a fellow named Howard Finster, mm-hmm. who was a uh, and his his uh, grandson. She has some pieces of his, and she has hung out with him for a while. Um, Howard has infused infused a lot of his artwork with uh, lots of religious stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at some of the images of, of Perry's work reminded me a lot of, of Howard's stuff. He's uh, he's I, almost I, I as much like that. Grayson Perry's almost 
as as well known now as a presenter he's done a, a bunch of programs over here um one was called like the the art of being masculine or something or i can't i'll have to get the the title of it it was something about... he's very good at <laughs> well that's part <laughs> of why he was exploring it and he spoke to some very typically kind of masculine areas like cage fighters like um police uh and uh like um kind of those aggressive kind of stockbroker types that live mm-hmm. in um you know the kind of trading floors and uh, he spoke to them and just kind of broke down what it was that they considered to be masculine and why they worked the way they did precisely because of the way he dresses and the things he is interested in. Um, it was a good program, but he seems to be more well known for that than his artwork, really. But like you say, I hadn't really seriously looked at his work because I I know him so well through his TV stuff. But uh, I'll put a link to that. And the other guy, Howard Howard Finster. Uh, Howard Finster. How do yeah. you spell that? Um, F I N S T E R. I wrote that. That's correct. Cool. Okay, I'll look him up and I'll put that on the on the uh, on the notes as well. Good to know. Yeah, so if actually it was it was wonderful listening to to your chat. Um, I picked up a a bunch of stuff. It was it was great. I can't wait to get over over there so we can all three of us sit down and have a chat. I felt a little out of little out of sorts listening to it because I want to be there. Yeah, man. Wanna, well, we'll do another be, one when you come I over. I want to be part of these part of these conversations because so much of what you guys were talking about is part of my background but it was wonderful I, i'm glad you guys i don't want to make want it to sound pouty because um it's not because it was a great it was a great listen cool man and well, i think and i think our listeners are gonna are gonna dig the shit out of it i th- i think it'll be good if we did another chat if the, if the three of us can because there's something about it's nice when people can do stuff face to face i mean the stuff over skype is nice but it's nice when you're in the same space and oh uh, i have no doubt i think whenever you come over then uh, we should line up a whole bunch of stuff. You're going to be very busy when you <laughs> do come over because we'll just line them up <laughs> and get a bunch done. Well, we, well, we just need to make that happen. I was, ha- I had to tell you, listening to to it, his voice and your voice frequently sounded very much alike, and I found myself wondering, is that Stuart or is that Sankey? talking it's where we we both work proper london <laughs> yeah because <laughs> we were up in north london yeah it it's just cool. one guy talking that's it just doing a slightly different voice and moving the mic a little bit <laughs> that's how well they've all been just very good impersonations of people that we know and love and they've agreed to to pretend that it's them it's very good of them <laughs> enjoy it well send us some emails we need to hear from you guys. Keep those cards and letters coming. Send the emails. And also, I mean, the, the greatest thing to do, if you're enjoying this, the best thing you could do to help us out is to share this podcast on your social media. Tell other people about this podcast. That would help us a lot. Just help us grow. And if you enjoy that and you want to do something and it's free and it just takes a second, that would be amazing. Just find the share link on this blog post or this podcast and share it with some friends. All right, Todd, I'll speak to you soon in the next few days. We'll have a chat and we'll, we'll, we'll get stuck into the next one. All right, mate. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Later. Bye.